the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Gunnarsson to O'Reilly to Gunnarsson. He scores! Boom, boom, Gunnarsson! Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues win game two! Three to two, the final. They're coming home tight at one. The big news today, we'll get to the Cardinals later on, but for the open today, Carl Gunnarsson has officially announced his retirement from the NHL. We will have that press conference of him announcing his retirement for you momentarily. That's the way that we open today's show. And with... The one and only Alex Ferrario hey! and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario. Officially. Branson. On 101 ESPN. Alex, how you doing, buddy? I am so glad to be back, boys. So glad. I got some stories, and we'll get into those later. <laughs> I got some stories because Branson should not be the number three spot in the Midwest <laughs> in terms of vacation areas. I'm just throwing that out there right now. Well, we have some big news to get things started. We'll get to your stories eventually, but Carl Gunnarsson uh, is, has announced his retirement. He had a 12-year NHL career, played 629 regular season games. Or do we have the press uh, conference? Like they're, they're getting ready to start it. This is okay. how the Blues do the Zooms. They, they let you in. Yeah, let me in. Tanner was getting yeah. ready to point Tanner out. Tanner got way too excited. Like, nope. Uh, 629 regular season games. He had the game-winning goal and the first Blues Stanley Cup win in franchise history, and now he is with the Blues announcing his official retirement from the NHL. I feel pretty confident and happy about the decision. Um, obviously, the last season was not, you know, as expected or as more, as more, as more, as more, as more. We will try to get back out. I think Carl, Carl, I think Carl just <laughs> muted his microphone. Announcement. It sounds like Zoom is having some issues. I don't know if that's on our end or their end, but welcome to 2021. You where think your Zoom press would have been fixed by now, right? Like the bugs would have been out from Zoom. You would think so. That's all right. But again, welcome to 2021, where this is the way that we are doing press conferences. We're hopeful that we're going to be able to get this thing back up, but no guarantees. Yeah, this is just kind of how it goes. 
Rose. But Alex, look, go Alex ahead. what's your favorite Carl Gunnarsson story? Oh we'll gosh. get to him here in just a minute. I got so many of them, but I think the one that has to be, and I put a tweet out earlier today for Carl Gunnarsson. It was a, I, I got to interview him during the Stanley Cup parade where he was in the street. It was him and his wife and his new baby. Um, and it has to be the urinal story. And I put on my tweet, I said, Carl will always go down tied to the first ever Blues franchise win in Stanley Cup history, right? Like, they've never won a game before in Stanley Cup history, and that was the first win in overtime, and then we later find out that he called it at the urinal, or pisser, as Carl would call it. And now we have Carl Gunnarsson announcing his retirement, we think, live on Zoom. And what, and what last year was like? Uh, yeah, the uh, body's been taking a little beating, and, uh, you know, last year was um, not as we wanted, or as I wanted, you know, fan, no fans and uh, kind of a weird season. And then the injury happened. But I just I felt like this was my time. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the decision right now. Uh, feels OK. It might be different when the season starts again. But um, right now I feel pretty confident about it and like it was the right move to do. And how is your knee right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm right on pace for uh, where rehab should be or uh my recovery should be so you know it's not it's not perfect yet it's going to take a little time but doing all right so far would you be able to play next fall whenever next season begins or would you still be out for a bit um I think it would take a little bit longer than that um probably if I would play it would have been you know a little bit later in the season miss a few games um yeah probably November late November maybe I don't know it's tough to put a timeline on it but um that's where I'm just guessing where it would be. How do you sum up your career? <laughs> um, it's been good. I mean, I'm super happy. Um, 12 years in the league has been amazing. Super proud of that. And uh, yeah, just never saw myself really getting into the league. But when I finally did, it's just, it's been, it's been crazy and sticking around for 12 years. Um, you know, it's something that to be proud of and some something that no one can take away from me. And to top it off with winning the cup, too, it feels uh, feels pretty darn good. Carl, uh, congratulations on a, on a great career. Other than the game two goal against Boston, what, do you, what are you most proud of in your career? Um, I'd say just being part of... Uh, Part of this group and making it better and making it you know being part of a winning group um i pride myself in you know having worked hard coming into the rink and doing my stuff and uh yeah you know putting the team first that's been my my mentality and uh you know not not worrying about having personal success um it's kind of what i um am the mo- most uh, proud of Carl, when you got traded here seven years ago, um, coming from Toronto, what were your expectations? And when you look back on your career, especially here in St. Louis, could it could it have uh, evolved any better? I didn't I didn't know what to expect when I got here. Uh, there was a different feeling from Toronto uh, to here, uh, team wise. You know, um, St. Louis was top team in the West. Had no issues going to the playoffs, so it was kind of weird coming here with that. Uh, mindset on the whole team but that was great it was great for me to come to a winning team and uh it's been nice to be be part of that group that pushed it even further and and took that last step too 
Carl, where's the puck? Do you have it at a uh, a storied place, a prominent place in your home, or uh, is it is it thrown I, into a closet or what? I wish I did. I couldn't get a hold of it, so I'm not sure where it is or who's got it right now. Um, yeah, I try to get a hold of it right away, but um, someone snagged it, and uh, I'm not sure where it is. What do you the remember Carl, from that play? Sorry, one more time. Just say, what do you remember from that play, from that goal? Um, yeah, not a whole ton. Uh, I mean, I saw the ref, uh, had his hand up and, um, had a delayed penalty. So don't get too many chances, like stick around for that, you know, power plays coming up. So, um, yeah. And then it all mixes in with, you know, all the videos and, and pics I've seen of it after afterwards. And, you know, it's kind of a blur, uh, even coming into the locker room with the whole story with Baruby. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of a blur, but what you remember, what you've seen on video, but you know, it's all, it's just, just a good feeling. Hey Carl, Alex Dean had to go through a similarly tough decision. Did you talk to him at all about this? And also you were telling me the other day that not enough Swedes in the locker room, they he had to sign more. Now they have to sign another one, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I lost, uh, lost three Swedes pretty quickly here. Um, so yeah, Sonny will be, the only one holding the flag for us um yeah i, t- I talked to steeter a bit when he was going through it and uh you know with his uh injuries tough for him to continue and uh for me that process has been going off a little bit too so it, it's been nice chatting with him uh about it and going through what, what the next stage is what the next step is um just you know um throwing ideas out there and just going back and forth moving back to Sweden or not and all that kind of stuff. It's been uh, great to have, have someone to talk to about it. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go back to Sweden or stay here or what's the word of the plans? I'm going to move back. I'll be here all summer, but I'm going to move back to Sweden. And then uh, once there, I'm not sure what uh, the future holds, but um, I'm sure I'll figure something out eventually. going to take a little time off probably and just uh, chill for a bit. Uh, And then we'll see. Does, would a part of you like to stay in the game in, in some capacity, Carl? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to drop hockey, you know, totally. Um, right now, I don't see myself getting back into the game uh, anytime soon. Uh, like I said, I want to take a little time off and just kind of hang back for a bit, see how that feels. And then uh, it might be different, too, when the season starts. You might get that itch back and just want to get back into it. But um yeah, in one way or another, you know, I'll, I'll be connected to hockey, but if it's going to be coaching or something else, I have no idea. We'll, we'll see. Carl, was it just tough to imagine maybe looking ahead, uh, if you still had a career in the NHL, to uproot your family and move them to another place, if that was going to be a decision you were going to have to make? Did all that weigh into it about, you know, having to leave St. Louis and all that? Um, not really. I mean, it's a little, little bit of a factor, but not a big one. I felt like I could have played and, uh, had to move for a year or two, you know, so be it. That's a game and that's, that's what you sign up for. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that would have been a problem, but sure. Like everything goes through your mind when, when once you kind of decide you're going to retire, uh, if it's worth it, um, you want to stay in, is that worth it? Um, 
I don't think that was like the, that was not the tipping point or anything. So I would have been fine with that, but I just decided that this is the time. Carl, as you watch the, the Blues go through this season, what, what do you, and, and we all know about all the injuries, including yours, obviously, but what, what was there something that you thought was missing or, or what was it like watching? What did, what did you see as you watched? The I, team? I think it's tough. You never want to blame injuries, but having guys in and out of the lineup, uh, mixing up the lines all the time, um, you know, having one or two guys really hot and you got to mix them up with some other guys. And then, you know, it's tough to get everyone going. Uh, especially when you got injuries like that, you gotta, you gotta have everyone, you know, uh, performing real high. And if you don't get that, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. Um, so yeah, going in, in the playoffs, you know, we pushed to get in there and then Colorado was just, they were too good. Uh, it's not much to say about that, but I think that affected us from the, from the start. It, it, it wasn't one thing, you know, a couple of weeks here and there that, we had some injuries. It was throughout the whole year. So um, I think that affected us uh, more than more than just having guys out, but the whole dynamic of the team. You know, you come to expect it in hockey, but you look back at the Stanley Cup team and from the defensive core, there's not a whole lot of you left now. Uh, no, you're right. It moves quickly in this uh, business, right? So uh, that's how it is. And that's, you know, it's too bad, but that's going to happen. Um, it's not easy keeping keeping a group like that together, but uh, yeah, some good memories from that group, though. Have you watched your goal often, the, the game two goal, and and how often are you asked about it? Like when you go to the grocery store, or the gas station? No, people leave me alone. That's nice, but um, I I mean I I watched it. It snuck up on me like the anniversary or whatever you want to call it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you see people just post it online and get tagged in some on Twitter and Instagram. And that's always nice, but I never, I think I, I did it once, like just sit down and watch it. But, um, other than that, I just get tagged and then kind of take a peek at it. it. Gives you a nice, good feeling, uh, and just throws you back to what it was like that whole run. Um, uh, yeah. But it, it, it's a good memory to have, and like all those videos and clips, it's uh, it's nice to have uh, in the bank and just you know in ten years or whatever, uh, show your kids and maybe they'll know what what dad did. Carl, speaking of dads, your dad, we've had a chance to meet him a few times on the father's trips and also at the rink. When you told the news to him, did he have anything memorable to say? Uh no, I think he was like we've been talking about it for a bit and like um before i decided that this was it you know um just been talking with him about maybe it's coming up in a couple of years and all that but uh yeah it was kind of a natural process uh i think he kind of could feel it too that it was coming and then it wasn't like a final day when i'm like yeah this is it and then it was a big thing it was you know we were chatting about it for a bit and then uh eventually it was like he knew about it. So, yeah, nothing nothing crazy. That was Carl Gunnarsson as he has officially announced his retirement from the NHL. A hell of a career. 629 regular season games. He had the game-winning goal in game two of overtime against the Boston Bruins. The first ever Blues Stanley Cup win in franchise history. And I loved this stat that JR came up with earlier today, Alex. 
He blocked 505 shots with the Blues in the regular season. He blocked 88 shots in the playoffs in his seven years here in St. Louis. If you do that over a per 60 minutes in terms of the rate stats as opposed to just the total numbers, it's the best of any Blues player in that stretch. Better than any other defenseman on the team. A remarkable career by Carl Gunnarsson. We're going to miss him here in St. Louis, certainly for us going into the locker room. That's a guy that I know everybody enjoyed talking with. So congratulations to Carl Gunnarsson on one hell of a career, and he's going to be missed in that Blues dressing room for sure. Yeah, no question. It's going to be one of those glue guys that you never want to lose from a roster, and we've talked about how the Blues have lost a lot of those lately, but you kind of saw this one coming because he has dealt with a lot of injuries these last couple of years. He grinded through an injury uh, in that Stanley Cup run and still was very crucial to that team. So so uh, a tough loss for the Blues, but I'm sure he's excited because I know he just had a new baby a couple of months ago, I believe. And then a couple of years ago, he had a baby. So he's got two little ones at home. He's got a wife. It sounds like he's going back to Sweden, uh, but hopefully he'll be back in the game in some capacity. And as I said before, the press conference started, Carl Gunnarsson will always be tied to that first ever Blue Stanley Cup victory, which I think is awesome. I think you could make an argument for Carl Gunnarsson having a statue. Like that's that's the crazy oh, thing. I've right? already given you the statue idea. It's just the Blues need to take me up on it. And the the thing is, like, I'm not saying Carl Gunnarsson had a statuesque career, right, where he he's worthy of having a statue outside of Enterprise. That's there's a different caliber of player that we're talking about. But the moment, the moment was worthy of having a statue outside of Enterprise. So that's very rare to be able to have something like that. And that is why for Carl Gunnarsson's retirement today, we're going to have a Ferrario five later on in the 12 oh, yeah. o'clock hour. We're back in a Ferrario five, baby. And, and we got an open. I think I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I wasn't going to tell him. Oh yeah. We don't got one. We're going to, we're going to go. It's going to be my, it's going to be my normal Ferrario five wow, open. You suck at lying T-bone. Really bad at it. I didn't know it was a secret. Really bad. You're bad at this. You messed up the fast lanes lineup game, and now you're messing up my opportunity. They don't even call me Tanner anymore. Yeah, now you're Taylor. Congratulations, dude. Oh, my God. They changed your name? That's incredible. Can we start calling him Taylor? No. Why? Because, you know, the hazing stuff, they frown upon it now. Coming up next, the Blues can't afford to have another offensive performance like that. And I have found four guys that are the keys to the offense. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Just got a quick story here. After regulation, I'm in there taking a after when you guys were uh, talking to you guys are going there and taking a Gunny comes up, sitting beside me, having a All I need is one more chance. (laughs) This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Broken bat right back to the pitcher. Oh, and he threw it away. Badu's going to score. Mazzara to second. Go to third. Maybe to third. He will dig for third. The throw is offline, and he's in there with a head first slide. That one is hammered. Deep left center field. Gone. Oh, man. Little question about that one, Shep. That ball was pulverized. No, this group's right there where, you know, it can take off we just you know got to be consistent and and keep keep moving forward and and i got to do my part the cardinals are winners of five of their last 19 six of their last 21 overall and they're right there alex you can feel it losing eight to two last night in detroit against one of the worst teams in baseball against team that came into that one 12 games below 500 a team that is actively trying to lose right now again in the detroit tigers cardinals right there to be able to get back into things the offense has to be better 
we can talk about Johan Oviedo. We'll talk about him a little bit later on. He's got to get more focus. He's got to be able to get through those jams like you saw in the fourth inning last night. But when you score two runs against a team that has one of the worst bullpens in baseball, and I understand Scoogle was pr- pretty good last Scoogle. Go, sco- I can't say his name. Scoogle, the starting pitcher for the Tigers, was pretty good last night. But how many times are we just going to say the Cardinals are going up against Cy Young every night? It's not that. It's their offense. Their offense has been a problem, and it seemingly is not getting any better right now. Well, you were right there with the Detroit Tigers after the first three innings, right? Like, yeah. yeah, you were right there against a team that is bottom you, you, five in average. You only had one hit. On know? base percentage, yeah. slug percentage, OPS. Um, their and star, every other offense Their categories. star player is, what, 38 years old in Miguel Cabrera? And gets switched out of the game. <laughs> you just got beat by a guy who BK can't even pronounce his name. It's true. But hey, you're right there, boys. You're right there. What were those again? Six of your last 21. Yep. Five of your last 19. Mm-hmm. And we're right there. And we're still going to stick with that message right there. So things are going poorly. They, <laughs> what? They had eight or eight base runners last 10 base runners last night. Six hits on the night. It's not bad. Not it's bad. going poorly for the Cardinals right now. And I have found the four culprits, boys. We want to talk about the coaches. We want to talk about the general manager, president of baseball operations. We've got a lot of people. What did, what did Michael Gersh do? <laughs> well, he constructed this roster. Did he, along though? Along with John Mosellock. Did he, though? I've got the four guys, if you want to look on the field, that just simply have to be better. Because when the Cardinals were winning, and they did a lot of it from May 30th to June 23rd, that was that hot stretch of baseball, or excuse me, April 29th to May 29th. I'm having one hell of a June? segment. I'm having a hell of a segment right now. You know June's like. April 29th to May 29th, the Cardinals were winning a lot. That mm-hmm. was the hot stretch of baseball where the starting pitching looked good. Things looked like they were turning around. They were hitting a bunch of home runs. The power looked like it was coming back. We were talking about hard hit rates, all of this stuff, right? You had Nolan Arenado with an OPS nearing 1,000 in that MVP stretch. MVP caliber play. Yadier Molina at that point in time was batting 280. Tommy Edmond was batting 270, seemingly was getting hit every single night. And you had Edmundo Sosa, who was just taking the league by storm. He was batting 333 at an OPS around 900. He was making crazy defensive plays every night. Those were the four guys that were like, damn, this looks good. I feel really good about where the Cardinals lineup is. We talked about the depth of it. Everything was rainbows and butterflies. It was. I was feeling good. T-Bone even said they were a World Series contender, and we couldn't believe it. From May 30th to June 23rd. So basically over the last month, nice. Nolan Arenado's batting average has dropped 100 points from where it was in that hot stretch. And his OPS has dropped 350 points from where it was in that stretch. Yadier Molina's batting average has dropped 235 points from where he was during that stretch to where he is in this stretch when he's batting 140. His OPS dropped 350 points. Tommy Edmonds OPS is down 160 points. Edmundo Sosa's OPS from where it was in that hot stretch to where it is in this recent stretch of losing, it's down 400 points. If you want to look at what's gone wrong for the offense, look at those four players. Those were the guys that were keeping you afloat and helping you win games during that good month. And now they're the guys that are underperforming in this bad month. It's Arenado, Edmundo Sosa, Tommy Edmond, Yadier Molina. You got to get at least two of them 
going again. You don't need all four to be on fire because now Goldschmidt is really taking things up a notch and he's going to be one of the players that you hope can carry you moving forward. Those four guys, though, you need at least two of them to get back on track for me to believe in what Mike Schilt is saying there with this team being closer. Can, can I just ask this question? Because I am so confused as to we've heard the shakeup comment. I talked about it last Monday when you were out with Katie Wu. That's when the comment broke basically from John Mozeliak on Sunday and they have not shaken up this lineup once. Yeah. Like how, if you're Mike Schilt, do you look at the struggling of Nolan Arenado, of Tommy Edmond, of a little of Paul Goldschmidt, a little of Dylan Carlson, of Paul DeYoung, who, by the way, he, I know people like want to obliterate Paul DeYoung, but he actually had a decent game yesterday. He went one for two and he got on base with two walks. Not great. First one in a while. But at least he's getting on base there. But look, your entire lineup is struggling. Even Tyler O'Neill is not Tyler O'Neill. How do you look at that lineup and say, we're just going to throw it right back out there, boys? Just go out there and fix the problem. And by the way, that's what they're doing today. Tommy Edmonds starting at second. Dylan Carlson in center. This is going one, two. Edmundos, or excuse me, uh, Paul Goldschmidt Sosa's batting third. Three. <laughs> Nolan Arenado is batting cleanup. Tyler O'Neill fifth. If you've heard this before, it's because it's the same lineup. Literally everything. Yadier Molina is batting sixth. Matt Carpenter is going to get the start today at first. Goldschmidt's oh, going to be DHing. He is batting seventh. Paul DeYoung is out there batting eighth, and you've got Newt Barr in right field starting today, batting ninth with John Gant on the mound. Just, you have the DH right now in the American League. I'm so. just saying, because, like you cannot go with that same lineup when your leadoff man, your three-hole hitter, your four-hole hitter, your five-hole hitter are all struggling. You can't continue to put them out there like that. You have to shake it up. You have to put Nolan Arenado in a different spot, put Paul Goldschmidt in a different spot, Tommy Edmond in a different spot. I mean, heck, you called Lars Newt Barr up, who was one of the best players in Memphis at the time. He hit the hell out of the ball last night, too. Put the guy at leadoff, right? Sure. Put the guy in the two-hole. Do something different than throwing the same lineup out there every single game. I think the big thing that stands out to me right now about what you're seeing, especially at the top of the order from Tommy Edmond, he doesn't have any on-base percentage right now. Like this month, in the month of June, he hasn't taken a walk. In the month of June, man, we're almost at the end of the month. So if you're going to get that out of Tommy Edmond, and you guys know how much I love watching him play, he just hasn't been the same player yeah. over the last three weeks. So you got to get something going from him. He did have a good game last night, two for five. He had the nice hit late in it, maybe get things going a little bit, didn't work out. I think you got to shake it up a little bit. They're not going to do that right now. I get it when you're going up against the Tigers and you feel like you have to steal one of these two from them. But when they get back home and they're taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates, I hope we don't see the exact same lineup again tomorrow night if things go poorly today. At some point, you've got to just do a shakeup for, is, the, for the sake of a shakeup. It is the definition of insanity. It is. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm right Brandon Kylie. Coming right up there. in about 15 minutes or so, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers is coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, we're going to talk to a Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer, a five-time All-Star. His name is Tim Wallach, oh. and he's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. It's always about hope, big boy. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be talking with a Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer. He's a five-time All-Star, a three-time Gold Glover, and a two-time Silver Slugger. He is Tim Wallach joining us here on the show. Tim, we appreciate the time today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I appreciate you uh, 
give me a call and have me on. I'm uh, been looking forward to it. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So I, I wanted to talk with you a little bit to start things off about those Montreal teams back in the 80s. And I, I think you can call it a rivalry or at least the head to heads that you had with the St. Louis Cardinals. For any of our listeners that may be too young to remember those those games, what was it like going head to head with those 1980s Whitey Ball Cardinals? Well, it was uh, obviously they had a lot of speed. We played on a lot of turf at the time. We had some speed. Uh, yeah, a little different game than than people are watching now. There was a lot more speed. Uh, well, there's guys that have speed in the game now, but it's obviously turned into more of a home run uh, type of game. But uh, you, the game was to me was faster at the time. Uh, you know, Tommy Her. Uh, Vince Coleman, Ozzie Smith. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on about the guys that could run. Willie McGee. And then we had guys like Tim Raines and Andre Dawson, Larry Walker, different points in the 80s there. It was, uh, they were fun games. You you had to be on your toes all the time. And uh, it was uh, obviously, like I said, a little bit different game, but they were always fun games. Tim, was that defense just frustrating as hell to play against huh. as a hitter? Because I can only imagine you thinking that you have a base hit and then Ozzie Smith just does a backflip and throws the ball as you're running to first base. Yeah, Ozzie was, it was, uh, even being on the other side, it was fun to watch. He was something else. He, he made plays that, uh, you just didn't think were possible to make. And Tommy was a, Tommy Hur was an excellent second baseman. Terry Pendleton at third base, and uh, they were they were something to watch as a group because even on turf, as fast as it was, these guys just played faster. Tim, I think sometimes we forget how great those teams were in Montreal and how great the fans were up there as well for you guys in the heyday. I, I think that it would be great to see a team back up there at some point. What do, what do you think we miss with not having the team that's based in Montreal right now in baseball? You know, it was, you know, guys, guys used to, at different times, they either loved coming there or they hated coming there because it was a, it was a great city for one and uh montreal was uh, i loved it i was there 12 years uh i've made some many longtime friends because it was in montreal i mean we all as you play uh everybody knows we're in a clubhouse for six months almost eight months with spring training and you get to know guys better than you you probably know some of your family members because you're together so much, but Montreal is even a little bit more like that. We all lived, uh, in a like downtown apartments and we'd have 10 couples there together. Mm-hmm. And we've ha- we have some of the greatest longtime friends that, uh, you could ever ask for. And, and it was mainly because of that. Um, just the relationships we've made over the years, uh, playing together, uh, that's probably the greatest thing that I remember about Montreal. 
Tim, I want to get into a player's head right now because uh, for the Cardinals currently, they're going through a lot of struggles offensively, and I'm sure you've been through slumps before in your career. As an individual, how do you get out of that going through this long of a season? Because you got to keep level-headed. You can't get stressed out and grip the bat too tight. But on the flip side of that, you also know that that's not the player you are if you're going through a slump. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to forget how many slumps I went through, but we all do. Uh, it. it to me, it's the hardest thing to do in sports is hit a baseball. Uh, what really comes from that is just knowing that it's a long process. You're going to go through your ups and downs, and you have to stay with what your routine is. And the, the great ones never alter their routine, whether they're going well or going poorly. Uh, and those are the guys that if you – if you have guys like that, you have guys like Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado there that have been through ups and downs. You, you have to understand that, uh, and you know for them to be the great players they are, they've stuck with their routine, and they don't alter it because they've gone through a three or four or ten game uh, tough, tough streak. They stay with the routine, and in, Guys that can do that and not start making wholesale changes because you're struggling for a few days or, uh, you know, you just, you never know what's going on. There could be something off the field, but when you get to the ballpark, you stick with your routine and in the long run, you're going to, these guys end up where they always end up with good numbers because of that. Tim, you were a hitting coach with the Dodgers in 04 and 05. And I'm just curious because a lot of people in St. Louis, you know, they go to Jeff Albert, the hitting coach, and they say, oh, well, he's the problem because the offense isn't contributing. From a hitting coach's perspective, how much impact do you feel that that role has on individual players? I think uh, more mentally than physically, uh, you know, any good hitting coach, you know, we're all, when I was when I did do it, I was always looking at video to see if I could see something mechanical. But I would try. You can't just go to a player and say, "Hey, you're doing this." You have to have that player if you want him to uh, really take what you see. He's got to see it. So you sit down with your guy if you see a little something mechanical, and you let him. Uh, guys are always going to be, if they see something and they feel that they can make that adjustment to whatever they need to do, it's going to work better than you saying, hey, you need to do, to do this. And then you mentally help them along. And uh, you, too many times I think hitting coaches will give, uh, give guys mechanical things, and they've been doing something for a long time. Uh, and they've been good with it. You don't want to be trying to mess with uh, different mechanical things with their swings. We're talking to Tim Wallach for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Former Expos third baseman, bench coach for the Dodgers, the Marlins, has been around baseball. He's a baseball lifer. Uh, Tim, you played the position. You played third base. And I wanted to ask you about Nolan Arenado, who you mentioned previously. I don't know how much you've been able to watch him, but I would imagine you've seen a decent amount. What are your thoughts on the Cardinals' new third baseman when you get the opportunity to watch? Well, I saw a lot of him when I was in L.A. as a bench <laughs> coach and third base coach, and uh, we'd see him around 18, 19 times a year. And without a doubt, and I've seen some 
amazing third base when Mike Schmidt, uh, Terry Pendleton, uh, uh, I'm blanking out on some others, but I've seen a lot of amazing third. He's the best I've ever seen. It's, uh, and I saw it from his rookie year. I saw him when he first came up and he, he makes plays that, uh, most of us can only dream to make. He's, uh, tremendous. He's just got great anticipation and, uh, you know, just all the things that you need. He, he makes all the plays. I, I had Adrian Beltre and I thought he was the best I ever saw until Nolan, Nolan came along. He's been a heck of a lot of fun to watch for us this year. Hey, Tim, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about is the big story in baseball right now. Um, you, you've been a baseball lifer. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Baseball has decided to crack down on the foreign substances that pitchers are using. Last night, we saw the back and forth between Joe Girardi and Max Scherzer. We saw Romo decide he was going to basically drop his pants. <laughs> um, what, what's been your impression of baseball deciding to do this midseason? And uh, how do you think this is going to go moving forward? Well, I think it's going to get even uglier. I think it's something we've had one. I mean, it's the game is slowly changing. uh, And it's one thing, one year, one thing, another, and you just keep adding on these things. And I think at some point, and this might be the point, uh, people are going to stand up and say enough's enough. This is, this has been a great game for, I don't know, a hundred and, 50 years, whatever the number is, um, changing the game is, is tough to watch because I, it's the game I've loved my whole life. And we keep making one change after another and the game has changed. And hopefully, uh, we don't lose, uh, the fact that this has been and, should always be the greatest game on, on the planet. And uh, it's disappointing. I think guys are getting a little little fed up with uh, too much coming from change more than let's play the game. Tim, do you feel like there's anybody within the or, within baseball, within MLB, that, that is kind of making that stance? Do you, do you feel like that's being lost right now? The stance of making changes? No, or the opposite. The stance of, game. hey, you know, baseball is a great game and it can be played well and it can be fun to watch. And it, it seems almost as if there's a lack of that influence within uh, the headquarters for Major League Baseball right now, at least in my opinion. Well, the headquarters can make the changes. The only people that can stop changes are the players. The players are playing the game, and if enough of them stand up, and say, leave our game alone, it's great already, Uh, that's the only way it's going to stop. Interesting. Uh, No, I I don't see enough. No. Tim, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you. All the best to your son as well. I know he's playing. We wish you guys all the best, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Absolutely. That's Tim Wallach joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time today. I'm... uh, It's amazing to me, Alex, we've talked to probably a half dozen, maybe even more than that, former players, former coaches, uh, different people that have been within the sport of baseball for a number of years over the last couple of weeks now about these changes that are being implemented in baseball. I don't think we've ever heard a single one 
It's like, yeah, this is going to be great. I can't wait to watch how baseball cracks down on the foreign substance rules. And I think last night was a big part of why we're hearing some of those voices speaking out. on Yeah, it. and, I, and I, he's not wrong. I think it is going to get worse. And I don't think it's going to get worse just from the player's perspective. I think it's going to get worse from the fan perspective. I think it's going to really take away from um, the... I don't want to say entertainment because after what I saw with Sergio Romo and Max Scherzer, that was pretty entertaining. But it is going to take away from that 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 feel of baseball, if you know what I mean, right? Like that feel of, of the excitement part of the game. And I think it's going to really start taking away, especially when you get into the scenario that Joe Girardi was with the Phillies and Max Scherzer, right? When you start to get a manager that's just doing it to do it that's when you're going to start to have a lot of problems, I feel. Coming up at 15 minutes, we'll talk a little bit more about this. What baseball is trying to do, it's noble, but this is not the way to go about it. We'll talk about that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, when you watched Mike Schilt as he watched Johan Oviedo melt down last night, did it raise any questions to you as to whether or not Mike Schilt is overwhelmed right now? Alex, do you get the sense that Mike Schilt is overwhelmed right now? I don't know if overwhelmed would be the way that I would look at that. Um... Honestly, I don't know the right word to use for the situation, but something doesn't feel right. Whelmed? Underwhelmed? No, <laughs> not underwhelmed. Uh, yeah, whelmed might be good. No, I mean, something just doesn't feel right. You know, like, he gives the same answers every post-game press conference. You know, well, the guys are grinding it out out there, and, you know, I feel like we're just right. Th- like, you can only say we're right there after losses so many times before it starts to become a problem. Um, not shaking up the lineup. That's a little confusing to me. Yeah, watching Oviedo melt down and then keeping him out there a little bit longer. A little bit of a question. I don't know. Something's just not right right now with Mike Schilt and this team. I, I, I don't know if lost is kind of the right word. It just feels like he has no right answer. Like Lost? Yeah, that's actually a good one. Because going to the bullpen last night, I mean, you could argue he should have gone to the pin, but like the bullpen's not been good. I mean, you could argue he could have gone to Wade LeBlanc, who's had three appearances and shut out everybody in those three appearances, but he didn't. Ha- he doesn't have the right answers. He, he can't find anything to click offensively. Now, sure, you could argue maybe he should shake up the offense, which I think he should, but even then, that may not work, and it's on those guys to pick up the, p- pick up the play. You look at the pitching. It's on the starting pitchers. You look at the bullpen. The bullpen has been better of late, but you still have no faith in that bullpen minus your big three. So, I mean, he's lost. He has no right answer to go to right now in these struggles, and the other thing with Johan Oviedo is I, I think that was more of one of those Let's see if he can learn from this game or let's see if he can take this moment because it was clear the wheels were coming off because he throws a wild pitch that bounced like right in front of his foot and and then he throws an air to third base. I think Mike Schultz wanted to see if he could recover from that and not have that ending blow up and it just didn't work out that way. That throw to third base essentially was where it's like, okay, this is over, right? Because if he makes that play, you're out of the inning and we're 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 not having any problems right now. I think my question to Cardinals fans would be this. What do you want Mike Schilt to do? And I'm asking that in all seriousness. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We can get into this more on the other side as well. Someone asked, Alex, why shake up the lineup when you're almost there? That's a good point. 
What do you want to see other than shaking up the lineup? And I think we're all in agreement. We have no issues with doing that. Tommy Edmond has not had an on-base percentage this month. That would be requisite for your leadoff hitter. Uh, you could look down further into the lineup. Arenado is not performing right now, but I don't think any of us are suggesting they should be dropped in the lineup. Other than that, though, set that aside for a moment. What do you want to see Mike Schilt do? Do you want to see him come in and yell in a post-game press conference? Do you want to see him get tossed from a game for arguing balls and strikes? I don't think this is on Mike Schilt. I really don't. I think what you're seeing from Mike Schilt right now that he's the same guy and we hear that this is whenever we talk to former managers the thing that they will all say is you've got to be the same guy in the wins that you are in the defeats if you're if you're even keeled that's the best way to have success as a manager and i think we're seeing mike Schilt be the same guy now that he is after the wins so if we're gonna say that's a good quality after the wins we also have to feel that way at least in my opinion after the losses I don't think Mike Schilt is the problem right now, any more so than I felt like he was the reason they were winning while they were winning. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And look, I am, I'm always on the, the train of this is not the coach's fault, right? Like, I, I'm always on that side. I stuck up for Jeff Albert last week when we were on the air. I, thought I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, I thought I was too for a little bit there. But look, I, I mean, it's one thing of saying the right the same thing over and over. Like, that's frustrating when you go out there and say, oh, well, they gave it a great effort and they didn't. But it's another thing when you keep doing the same thing. But it, I hear you. Um, but that's on the players. That's not on Mike Schilt necessarily. Yeah, but if things are going wrong, you got to try something different, right? Like when the Blues aren't scoring goals, well, they're going to shake the lines up a little bit and try and get some more chemistry. If this offense is as bad as it has been over this I know, month. But I'm saying set that aside for a moment. If we if we because we all agree on that. That's a starting point that we're all we're all with each other on that. But if we set that's that the only aside, thing he can do. I, exactly. And if that's the only thing he can do, I mean, I mean, I did like Aaron Boone after the Yankee struggles and came out and said, hey, we were just bad. Like, sometimes I like it when you're honest and you come out rather I, than giving the he's same done some of that, though. I mean, he does it more subtly than than Boone did. See, I don't know if he has. He always defends the situation. He's like, oh, well, they're doing a great job and they're working their tails off. That's fine. But like, they're not. I've got some audio from earlier today. Mike Schilt talked to the uh, to the press a little while ago. I was listening to it this morning. I, I got to cut it up real quick. It'll take me a couple of minutes. But if you bear with me on the other side, let's hear what he said earlier today. I think it might change your opinion a little bit of where Mike Schilt is at. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. All right, so we're talking about what Mike Schiltz can do because the Cardinals are in a rut right now. They've lost 15 of their last 21 games. They've lost 14 of their last 19. This is a bad stretch, as bad of a stretch of baseball as we've seen from the Cardinals in quite some time. If you're looking at it historically speaking from the month of June, it's right now the 10th worst June win percentage in the history of the organization. It Ooh. hasn't been good, and I'm not going to try to sell you a bag of goods that it has been anything other than that. And right now, you're in the midst of playing a bunch of losing teams, and so far over your last five games, you're one in four. So there is nothing in terms of silver linings for me to be able to sell you right now. Hey, Mike Schultz done a great job. This roster has done a great job. I'm not going to pretend. 
we're going to be able to be realistic right now and talk about what's actually happening on the field. However, when we're talking about Mike Schilt and what he can do, realistically speaking, the only thing that I hear people bringing up right now in 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line is the lineup. And we're all on the same page. We would like to see this lineup get a little bit of a shakeup. If that's what you'd like to do, I'm all on board. I'll hit that button I'm signing up for today. What else? What else is there that Mike Schultz can do? And sometimes, Alex, I think you speak for a lot of fans when you say, show a little passion, show a little emotion. Stop trying to, in the words of Mike Schilt, alibi why things are going wrong for you right now. Give us a little bit more of the what's gone wrong and less of the here's what was right in the 8-2 to two loss on the road against the Detroit Tigers, right? Here's what Mike Schiltz had to say earlier today when talking with the media about why things aren't good enough right now. And we're not being able to score consistent runs. I mean, you know, we can alibi it and say that we face good pitching. Well, we have. It's the big leagues. You know, we can alibi it and say that we hit a lot of balls like last night at people. I mean, we and we did. But it's the big leagues. People hit balls hard at people. And um, we just hadn't been able to be consistent enough to be able to score runs. And, you know, it is a talented group. You know, we've um, done a lot of things the first two months of the season that were, were really pretty positive. And then um, towards the end of May to now, uh, just hasn't been as consistently good enough. That's as much as you're going to get out of Mike Schilt in a press conference scenario. We know he has fire inside of the clubhouse. We've seen it on a video from Randy Rosarena. And then he got traded. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> but that's about what you're going to get from him. He acknowledged it's not been good enough. Is that what you're looking for? Or do you need to hear more? No, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I just want honesty about the situation. I look, and I know some people are hearing me and they're like, yeah, we want Mike Schilt to come out and drop <laughs> some F-bombs at the umpire and then get tossed. No, that's not going to do anything. That's basically just getting your manager tossed. That's not going to light a fire under any players. They're going to be the same player they were before the manager got tossed. But I just want honesty, right? Like, that's the part. That I just don't want the participation trophies. And I know what Mike Schilt is doing. I've talked with him in the past, and he's all about making sure that the players are defended, but he's all about making sure that the players don't feel like they're being thrown under the bus. And that's the participation trophies that people talk about. And look, that's what got Mike Schilt to the big leagues. He had success in every level of the minor leagues getting to this point by being this manager. But it is the big leagues, as Mike's talking about. I just want more honesty in the situation. And that right there is exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the, it's the big leagues. You got to be better than that. Yeah, sure, we're hitting hard line drives to other teams. But so are other guys. And they're finding green grass. We're not doing that right now. Yeah, our pitching, are we faced against a lot of the tough pitchers? But so are the other guys, and they're finding ways to do it. That's what I want from Mike Schilt. And yeah, I'm very happy with that comment. And I think more people should look at that and say, okay, we need a little more of Mike Schilt like this. Somebody on the text line says Mike Schilt makes sure to make the players feel good. And that's part of why we're seeing this in the postgame press conferences. I think that's absolutely true. I think Mike Schilt is talking to you, the fans. He's talking to us, the media, and he's talking to his players through what he's saying in a postgame press conference. And we have to keep that in mind. Think of who the audience is for what he's saying in the postgame. These players read this stuff. Don't let you tell them otherwise. Don't let them tell you otherwise. They hear what is going on in the media. They see what their manager is saying. The stuff is uh, put up all over social media. It's available to them. And so if you see Mike Schultz saying something like that in a pregame presser, what he's basically saying is, yes, we understand that things are going poorly. Here's some of the things that could get corrected later on, but I'm not going to argue with you when you say that things are going poorly. It's about as much as you're going to get out of him. Now, to the lineup point, Alex. Mike Schultz was asked about that earlier today once again. 
and it does not sound like he is on the same page as us. I don't think that I would expect a lineup shakeup at any point in the near future. And he talked about why and part of it, and I, I grabbed a, a portion of his, his explanation. It's good. I would recommend checking it out on the full interview. But he basically said Nolan Arenado is doing the job. He's on pace to be our first 100 RBI guy in, a hundred, in uh, 10 years now. 2012 was the last time the Cardinals had that. It's not like they're going to drop Carlson or Goldie in the lineup right now. But he then got to Tommy Edmond. And this is the one spot that I do think you can make a strong argument for changing things up right now. Here's what he said about Tommy Edmonds' recent performance. You know, Eddie's been, hadn't been able to take his walk, you know, a little problematic. His on-base percentage didn't go, but he still takes a lot of good at-bats. Um, and so, um, you know, long answer to your question, I mean, you don't know do you look at it. Um, but I don't know if Goldie leading off or O'Neill leading off is necessarily the answer um, because, again, you know, the bottom of the lineup is going to have to contribute, if that's the case, to, to have people on for him. And, and um, we haven't had that as consistently, consistently as we'd like. So then you got to move people at the bottom of the order who can get on consistently, right? Like, I, I hear that, and I understand you're not dropping, as Tanner would like to see, Paul Goldschmidt to the eight hole. Oh, well, well, we agreed on that as a show. No, we never agreed on that never as the show. Never I say you should drop you Paul Goldschmidt here. to the eight hole. You weren't here. Yeah, yeah well, I spoke for him. <laughs> Katie Wu was here and said that's a terrible idea. So He's that's okay. like your best hitter in the month of June. <laughs> get but out of here. You need somebody at the bottom of the batting order who can get on base. Like, uh, uh, in all honesty, Paul DeYoung shouldn't be in the lineup today. And I know we got on base with two walks and a hit yesterday. Mundo Sosa, though. He hasn't been hitting this month either. That's the problem, though, yeah. right? Like the top of your order, which one through six, where it's all the offense, that's shaking it up, in my opinion. I don't like the idea of shifting Tommy Edmond down to the seven hole or the eight hole, but maybe you need to to try and spark some offense. I don't like the idea of Dylan Carlson hitting ninth, but maybe that's how you shake up the lineup a little bit and move the pitcher eighth. Real quick, a tinfoil question for both of you. Sure. We don't need the open here. God, I wasn't ready for it. That's what you never are. <laughs> Got him. Um, is Tommy Edmond struggles? Come, oh, I don't know why my voice just peaked there. You're I emotional hit, about I think it. I, I get it, man. There is Tommy Edmond. I've been getting emotional about Tommy Edmond lately too. <laughs> Are his struggles correlated to taking him out of the everyday second base role? I don't think so. Like I'd have to go back and look at this, but like, and I know he's played right field for for spurts this season, but it feels like all of June he's been in right field. Now he's in second base today. But, like, do the numbers show that Tommy Edmonds' struggles are coming from him playing every day in right field? Kind of. Um, he's He has a 282 on base percentage when he's playing in right and a 332 on base percentage when he's playing at second. So his OPS drops about 100 points playing in right field. Tinfoil just solved the Cardinals' problems, boys. Do I think that's a causation? Like, because he's playing in right field, he's struggling at the plate? No. It might be a mental causation, though. Maybe. I don't think so. I think he's just struggling at the plate right now. He has zero walks in the month of June. Let me say that one more time. Tommy Edmond, who's an on-base guy and is batting leadoff for you and was awesome to start this season, has zero walks in his first 17 games in the month of June. But he's played right field in all of June. Most of it, yeah. He's His on-base percentage this month is 240. That's among the worst in the sport. And he's batting leadoff for you every day, so there's nobody on your team that's getting more at-bats than Tommy Edmond. So your worst hitter is getting the most at-bats right now. If you're looking for a reason to shake things up, that's it. 
Like, forget the fact that the Cardinals are losing. Even if they were winning and he was playing this way, there would be a legit explanation from Mike Schilt as to why he decided to move Tommy Edmond from the top of the order. I think you can make a strong case right now that Matt Carpenter should be batting leadoff. That's who I was going to bring up. I, I I think you have to go to that. Sosa's yeah. not hitting, and I understand that with the pitching and how you want to have a great defensive lineup out there, when you have this rotation that you have right now, to me, you have to put Carpenter at second base. And then you but can, then you have Tommy so, Edmonds so, still in right field. I, I know, but to me that that him going to right field is kind of like what you're saying, BK. It's the numbers show that he's performing worse at the plate when he's in right, but I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's just one of those months for Tommy Edmonds. Zero walks is a big key for that. But this goes to May too, though. I, I know. I, I just think there's. I think it's one of those stats where you look at it and you say, "Oh, look at that! There it is." But it's kind of one of those lying stats where even if he was at second base, those numbers would probably be the same. Matt Carpenter this month, though, he's only got 33 at bats, but he's got three extra base hits. He's got an on base percentage of 390, and he's drawn six walks, has nine strikeouts, been hit by a pitch. He's twice. been your third best hitter uh, during this losing streak. His OPS is back up to 800. I mean, to he's me, been to legitimately him- good. He's been better this month in terms of his production at the plate than Dylan Carlson. To, so, me, yeah. to me, you have to put him in the lineup and put him at second base and probably hit him leadoff, in my opinion. And then I don't know, maybe you put Edmund in the six hole or seven hole. Then the question would become, then what do you do at short? Do you, you go the younger Sosa? You've had four productive hitters in the month of June. Four. It's Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter, Dylan Carlson. Put those guys in the top four and then figure it out from there. But if you put those guys in the top four, then the rest of your batting order doesn't hit. Yeah, but the rest of the batting order, it, basically what I'm trying to do is get the most at-bats for your best hitters right now. And then figure it out from there because the biggest issue that the Cardinals have is they don't have enough good hitters. Like, forget the lineup. They don't have enough good hitters right now. Or at least they don't have enough guys that are producing is a better way to put it, I think, right now. As Meat would say, they have no talent. I've heard him say that before. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we've got a Ferrario 5. And as Tanner mentioned earlier, we have an open for it. I wasn't going to tell Alex, but we do have an open. The five best Carl Gunnarsson moments, the five best memories of Carl Gunnarsson's career here in St. Louis. Alex will have that for us in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, very excited about this. Willie Horton was on the 1968 World Series champion Detroit Tigers. He went head-to-head against Bob Gibson when Gibby had three games that he started in that World Series. What was that experience like for Willie? And if I'm not mistaken, from what I understand, Willie has a bit of a personal relationship, had a bit of a personal relationship with Bob Gibson as well. We'll talk to Willie Horton of the Tigers coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And it's not every day that you get to talk to a player the likes of Willie Horton, who had a four-time All-Star career. He was a 1968 World Series champion. His number is now retired by the Detroit Tigers, and he joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Willie, we sincerely appreciate the time today, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. I wanted to reminisce a bit on your career because here in St. Louis, the 60s are revered as one of the the prime eras of Cardinals baseball. And you were around, you were playing in that era. Can you tell our listeners that maybe are a little bit younger what it was like to be playing in Major League Baseball in the 1960s? Well, it was a great honor that I, through the, my career, I got to meet a lot of great, not only ball players, great Hall of Famers and uh and uh, one of the guys that 
sent out in my mind one of y'all heroes in that town is Bob Gibson and uh and uh in the game he pitched against us in that first game of the World Series. So he was he was untouched. He was a he would have beat anybody that day. And, and Willie, I'm I'm sure you didn't get to see the Cardinals that much playing in Detroit at the time, but those can I can only imagine the battles that the 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 Tigers and the Cardinals went through in the '60s. Because here in St. Louis, when you hear about the '60s teams, you think of Bob Gibson, you think of some legendary names. Exactly. What were those What were those battles like, for in your opinion? Well, it was great because it's uh, compared. You know, I never forget the World Series that year. I think we won 110 games and. Uh, Cardinals won 98, and they picked Cardinals to beat us. And because of the great year, uh, they won the World Series the year before, and they've been in the World Series in the last few years and been established a great organization. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting great men like Red Shane Ding and them guys. And, 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 and uh, you know, just it was a great honor in that honor in that, during that time that way baseball was. And you, I raised up, I was very fortunate. I, I came up to Big League. I was 19 years old, and I was very fortunate to be around people like L.K. Line, Gates Brown, Norm Cash, and taught me how to become a true profession. is is important what you do off the field and what you do on the field, and that's what the Cardinals kind of set the example for baseball during that era. Willie, I remember in 2015, Madison Bumgarner kind of became the story of the sport in the World Series, or 2014, rather, when he became the story because he pitched three games in the World Series. Bob Gibson did that against you guys in 1968, where he started game one, I think it was four, and then again in game seven. What was it like to go up against Bob Gibson when he was out there on the mound and you're stepping into the box? What was that experience like? Well, it was a great experience for me because... uh I had experience with Bob Gilson back in spring training and uh getting going to get his autograph and then uh and uh we was in Lakeland and I'll never forget in spring training the year before that I played over in I played a game over in Winter Haven against Boston, didn't have to make the trip and the Tigers playing uh, St. Louis Cardinals and Bob Gilson on pitch and I I made the trip just to get his autograph but uh I waited for him for a long time and and then he finally come through there and he's asked me, he was on the side of my ball and he looked at me and said, what position do you play outfield? And I ain't going to say the words he said, but, uh, but that's the competitor he was during that era that, uh, and I'm glad I got to meet him after retirement because it was a fine young man. You know, all them years you hear about Bob Gilson is Bob Gilson that not bad he is, but Bob Gilson had a beautiful heart as I learned that after retirement, but, uh, just facing him that game one and, you know, he struck me out from the number 17 strikeout. And, uh, and I never forget that. I remember Tim McCarver's I grunted on the ground. I don't remember that. But, <laughs> but I remember he struck me out. Now, I know he had me. I know what he was going to do. He had me set up and knock me out with his slider. But And I found out later, and the ball stayed in on me. I, and I couldn't do nothing. And, uh, and I found out later, and after we retired, that uh, he worked on a pitch for uh, backup slider for Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, all them great hitters in the National League. And that's, that's strange to hear a pitcher talk like that. And it kind of made me feel good because I know at the time that ball sort of broke and I might have hit it if it had broke. But uh, that's what a great pitcher he was. I remember Norm Cash coming back in that same game and after the 
first time at the baddies, but this is going to be a short day today. <laughs> I, uh, what was your relationship like with him after his career? Because we hear so much oh, about I'll the fierce you. competitor, but what was your relationship like with Bob Gibson off of the field? Oh, I tell you, off the field, I found out going to the on the old timers game and going to the All Star game and being around him and the great heart he had. He had for not only for the game of baseball, the heart he had for the fans. And I learned then that what we that we all go through in life, we play for the fans. And I learned then how much Bob loved competitive for himself, going out there every day and giving it all for the fans. But but just knowing him as a person. I'm glad I got to meet him after retirement because going playing against him in a few All Star games and and in the World Series that you heard Bob Gibson is Bob gets out better, but then after retirement, I don't have the word the type of man he is. He was a beautiful human being for this game. Willie, I'd like to dive into Bob a little bit further as a player because I'm I'm only thinking about this right now. I mean, we all know how okay. great of a pitcher Bob Gibson was, but you were 25 in 1968, and I mm-hmm. mean, you were fourth runner-up to the MVP, so an incredible season for you. What is that approach like going up against Bob Gibson? I mean, do you have a plan, or does he just ta- basically take that plan well, and throw well, it in the I trash? Tell you, I tell you, going up against him, you, you, at one particular game, Bob Gibson, that was his day in the sun and uh and and we were lucky to have on our team at the time eddie matthews and johnny Padre and them older veteran on our team and after he struck out us 17 that first game we sitting in the clubhouse but them guys having them guys around we had to look at and say well we had to get back to that we know the game too and uh but uh but but just thinking about him that these guys at one game we faced them that these guys in the Merkin National League for many years had to face them night in, day out at, at games that he pitched in, that the competitor that he brought to the game. And, and he set example for all future Hall of Fame pitchers, what he did on the field. He was, he was a great competitor on the field. And I think he set example for all the great uh, pitchers that was in the National League and went on being the Hall of Fame. And, and, followed, and a lot of people followed the example of Bob Gibson. We're talking to Willie Horton, four-time All-Star, 1968 World Series you know what, champion. Uh, I appreciate you saying four-time All-Star. You know, I got picked in seven, and I, but I only played in four because I was hurt. Really? really? Is that right? Yeah. So I was very fortunate that uh, that I'm still uh, that. Uh, do you recognize that? And but I uh, was fortunate that I, unfortunate that I didn't get able to play within four. What's your favorite baseball memory? When you look back, whether it be your career or uh, as a fan of the game, what's your favorite baseball memory? My first baseball memory when I pitch hit and hit my home run in top stadium and my dad was in the bleachers. And uh, he got put in and, and a little, they got a little lock-up sale when you get into it with people. And I guess he was sitting out in the bleachers and, and um, I'm so happy I hit a home run one and tied the game. We won the game against Baltimore. And and we waiting after the game. I wanted to see Papa. And, and Mama, my, me, my mom and my sister was waiting for him. And I was, where's Papa? And, you know, you, you didn't dare to ask your dad where he'd been. Here he come after all the lights off, and he comes and said, let's go. And then I found out later from the ground crew what happened. And that's the hardest thing that I had with the Tiger organization my dad would never sit down with a world of family that he loved sitting up in the bleachers. 
That's incredible. And, and do you remember what year that was? Was that was that your rookie year? I think that was in '63 when I came up. Wow, that's amazing. I, that's awesome. I came up in the '63. I think Gates Brown got hurt and Calavita got hurt, and I came up just before the end of the year. Wow, that's amazing, Willie. This has been an absolute pleasure. We got to do this oh. again sometime soon. The Tigers and Cardinals don't play too often, yeah. but we've got to find a way to sneak well, you back onto the show. Well, thanks to two great organizations, I know that. Tigers raised me. I played strikeout on the wall when I was a kid, raised up in the Jeffrey Project. But the Cardinals and what they set, for example, for the all-baseball and the Tiger organization, uh, it, it, and we got other great organizations. I had opportunity going coaching uh, uh, coaching for Joe Steinbrenner and learn how smart a gen- uh, owner and general manager he was. But uh, I'm, I'm just very proud. I'm still around, and I'm a little slow. But I'm still around, and I hope the hardest thing this for me in the last year that uh, I, I couldn't, I can't go in the clubhouse. I'm still on that major league rule with my age, and I hope they lift that so I can get them, so I can go in and be hand on with the young people. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, sir. That was awesome. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Yeah. Um, that was Willie Horton, former Tiger, great 1968 World Series champion, and seven-time All-Star Alex Ferrario. Seven-time All-Star. All-Star. That's how you address him. Huge thanks to him for hopping on the show with us today. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, it is the fantastic well-received, illustrious return of the Ferrario 5. And we've got an open for it now. This next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So Ferrario, give us your top five. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got it open. We need to work on the bed. Tanner, we'll do that eventually. Tanner ruins everything, man. He We're spoiled trying. the surprise, and then he just ruined the segment. When I say, T-Bone, hit the open. Oh, yeah. It's all right. Well, do you hate me? Is that, well, is that what the problem is, Taylor? I'm unbelievable. <laughs> we'll get that worked I out eventually. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes here. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But right now, it is time for our Ferrario 5. Alex, today it is the five best Carl Gunnarsson moments, five favorite memories of Carl Gunnarsson's career here in St. Louis on the day that the 12-year veteran decided to officially announce his retirement from the NHL. What do you have for us? So I had some fun with this one because Carl was one of my favorite players to be around in the locker room because he was honest, he was was outspoken and man did he have fun whether he was in the lineup or not in the lineup so there's a couple of on ice moments and then there's a couple of off ice moments I'll start with number one because we all know what number one is it's the urinal game it's game two of the Stanley Cup final against Boston and frankly it was an important game because well yeah it was the first no, Stanley well, Cup win in the history know, of the organization what I mean by that is if you don't win that game I think that series goes a little differently right because like overtime Boston had beat in game one you were in Boston Boston goes up to nothing back to St. Louis I think you're going to have more struggles but Carl calls his shot he scores the goal and on top of it he's at the pissa as he likes to call it and uh, I still by the uh, I wish the Blues would take my idea and just bronze a statue of Carl Gunnarsson in the bathroom next to a urinal so people could take pictures so that was the obvious number one in the Ferrari 05 the second one was a personal one for me Carl dropping an f-bomb on an interview that I did for radio. And luckily I saved it, not saved the interview, but I saved it before it went on the air. 
because interviewed him pregame, was talking with him, and he basically told me, you know, these blankers on the other side, we got to find a way to beat them. Laughed it off, but I almost played it on the radio. That would have been bad. Hmm. Third one was his third season here in St. Louis. I think it was like 15 or 16 games into the season. He was looking for a goal, and it scored, and it bounced off of his his rear end into the back of the net. And then post game, he was asked, you know, what's it like scoring the first goal of the season, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's great. He's like, I just need to find ways to get pucks to vote to go off of my big, you know what? And he said this, and this was like live on Fox Sportsman West, Bally Sportsman West at the time. But like, that was the sense of humor, humor of Carl Gunnarsson, where he would just drop that in the middle of an interview and then laugh it off. Uh, number four for me, Carl Gunnarsson, the start of the 17-18 season. If you go back and look at the numbers, this was the start of the season where, like, everybody that played defense was scoring goals. Like, Joel Edmondson had five goals at the beginning of, the like, the first month of yeah, the season. Yeah, I remember that. Carl Gunnarsson scored three goals in the first 12 games. He basically was calling himself a goal scorer at the beginning of that season, and I loved it, too, because, like, when the confidence shows of Carl Gunnarsson, everyone else jumped on board with that one, and I mean, everyone, Edmondson, uh, Alex Petrangelo, Jay Bomeister, I think he had like two goals. Colton Pareko. 15 goals that year. Edmondson, seven. Pareko, six. Dunn, five. Gunnarsson, five. Bortuzzo, four. And Bomeister even had a couple like that year. everyone defensively was scoring goals. That, if I'm not mistaken, was before Petro's injury was an MVP type level for yeah. him or a Norris Trophy level uh, for him. So that was number four. And then number five for me was his first goal. And I thought it was so cool. I remember it personally because I had just started my internship covering the Blue but his first goal in St. Louis was against the Nashville Predators. It was in November, so like the second month of the season, but it was on home ice too. And this was a guy you got from Toronto, who if people remember, you acquired him for Roman Polak, who was already a fan favorite. Um, But him scoring that first goal, I think kind of cemented himself as a Blues kind of defenseman. And in his article announcing his retirement today, he talked about how, you know, I was never the best player on a team. I was never the most flashy player on a team, but I was a guy who worked hard. And I think that was a perfect example of Carl Gunnarsson because he may not have been in the lineup every night, but he was a guy who brought it all every single night. And I think that first goal was kind of a... uh, a mirror image of his game. He was also a huge piece to what they built defensively. I mean, if you look at what Carl Gunnarsson was as a player, he was gritty. He was large. Like that's, that's a big piece of what they built defensively. He's six to 200 pounds and he wasn't afraid to block a shot. You look back to the defensive core in the playoffs in 2019, Alex Petro was averaging 25 minutes per game at that point. Bo Meester was at 23, Edmondson 16, Dunn 15, Gunnarsson 15, and then Bortuzzo 12. Out of their entire defensive core from 2019, the only guys that are expected back next year at this point are Pareko and Bortuzzo. Yikes. They've got to rebuild that defensive core. Oh, yeah. Because it looks a hell of a lot different now than it did back then, and that doesn't mean it's bad now. But this year it wasn't particularly good, and the size that they had part of what the identity of the roster was and I do think they need to go out and start replacing specifically guys like Edmondson and Gunnarsson those are two guys that they're really missing right yeah now. they're gonna they're gonna really miss Carl Gunnarsson because he was uh, about as dependable as you can have on your blue line and really the blues acquiring him started that transition of your defenseman uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at this real quick so they had Bortuzzo and Bomeister and Petrangelo already on the team but when Carl Gunnarsson was acquired Colton Pareko wasn't here yet nor was Joel Edmondson nor Robert Bortuzzo was acquired mid-season when they traded Ian Cole 
But I mean, he was that next piece that transitioned away from Barrett Jackman, that transitioned away from um, Jordan Leopold, Kevin Shattenkirk. So he was kind of that next mainstay. Carlo yeah, was there he was then. that next mainstay in the lineup defensively for the Blues. And think about it. He went through the Ken Hitchcock era. He went through the Mike Yo era. And then he went through the Craig Berube era. Yeah. So you're going to have to find a way to replace something like that. And there uh, may or may not be a Ferrario five on that tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We've talked a lot about Paul DeYoung and the difficulties, the struggles that he's had so far this year. How do other teams view him right now? Does he have any trade value? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, Alex had, from what I understand, one hell of a weekend in Branson. He's got some stories to share in the Drunk Jordan next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. And Alex, I've been waiting for like three days now to find out what your experience was like out in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> the third best Midwest trip to go on a weekend trip. Or as to. I like to call it, God's country. What was your experience like as we dive into the junk drawer here on 101 oh, ESPN? Guys, so much on this trip because one it was a family outing so I went with my parents for a father's day trip my cousin went with us and then my sister and her Your husband first father's day so by was the way first father's day thank you very much buddy it was very enjoyable so it started out great got the was golf it? got the golf. and let me tell you the golf courses out in branson are awesome i mean they got um top of the rock they got ozark national they got Payne's valley tiger woods's new course did you go there no, we didn't get on okay. there because they have like certain amount of people that get to go. But we went to a really good course. That was fun. But then all hell broke loose after that, boys, because we spent Sunday at Whitewater, which is a water park. And then we spent Monday at Silver Dollar City, oh, or God. as you like to be called, Steal Your Dollar City. And boy, did they do that because on it was awesome. That because was such a dad joke. It was. I respect that you just moved right on from it. He's got to flow right through that. But look, on top of the fact that there was nobody there. There was nothing there. Like everything was closed down because of pandemic slash not being able to have enough employees. But it was to the point where going on a trip with a new baby is fun. But on the other hand, it is not fun because the new baby doesn't like to do anything. And I mean anything. We tried to go to the water park. We're like, oh, baby will love the water. No, she cried the whole time. Tried to go to Silver Dollar City. Cried the whole time. And there's not a whole lot of rides that a newborn can really, a toddler can go on. Let me fix that for you. There are zero rides <laughs> that a newborn can go on at I a theme park. I remember talking with you. We talked previously about you and your your wife and your your baby uh, going to Disney World later this summer. And that, I thought about it and I was like, man, I'm not sure what you're going to be able to yep. do down to Disney World yep, this summer. Yep. And that's, that's the part where I kind of have that epiphany on my trip where I'm like, huh, you can't do anything with a baby. Other than just sit there. Now, I will say the baby was great. She and didn't it's really... 150 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. 150 degrees. People are walking around in flannels and blue jeans. And like, it is ridiculous. But anyway, the part that got so frustrating on this trip. And I mean, I guess it's what everyone's going through right now. They don't have enough employees. BK, we couldn't find a spot to eat on this trip. Like every restaurant we went to, 45 minute wait. Really? Hour wait. Two hour wait. And understand. I think that's just Branson. No, it's not. Because Branson wasn't crowded. There was nobody there. We walked in to a restaurant down there or over there or up there, however you want to look at it. 
By the way, did you see that somebody almost died on a roller coaster at, in Branson? This is not funny, but <laughs> That's the what, fact that you were there. And they just found happened. a body out there, too. Like they found a body floating in Naval Rock Lake. They're like, oh, this right, fun so trip right I'm here. I'm going to mark Branson off my list of uh, top three. Yeah, you shouldn't it's do that. Top three, top three yeah. Midwest cities to travel to for a week. It's not. It's not, by the way. But anyway, we yeah, walked yeah. into a restaurant and nobody in there, like two couples. We walked in and they're like two and a half hour wait. We're like, what? Two and a half hour wait. I'm like, well, what about all these tables over here? Uh, we only have one cook and one waiter. I'm like, oh, so this is life right now and out in Branson, Missouri. I'm never going to Branson again, plain and simple. Never doing it again. Now, we didn't get to do Table Rock Lake, and I love Table Rock Lake. You didn't go to Table Rock? No, we didn't do Table Rock because... How do you go to Branson, Missouri and not go to Table... That's like the number one attraction. Well, you can blame because you can't go on a freaking boat when it's 100 degrees out with a newborn. Why? She's sitting in the sun. That's a terrible idea. Get a pontoon. It's got the cover on it. Yeah, that's not how this works. What do you mean? Yes, it is. No, it's not how that works. You literally rent the boat. No, the baby does not want to sit on a boat for eight hours in a day. Well, no, you go out there for a few hours. You don't. What you're dropping? Rock's not you know that how much, far. A, you know how much a boat rental is for a few hours? Yeah, like a hundred hundred oh. bucks an hour, right? Oh no, per no. hour? No, more like two hundred an hour. Is it? Yeah, and then you got to pay for the gas. The gas on boats is like ridiculous. That, that's true. It, honestly, the boat would have been like a seven uh, like a seven hundred dollar thing total. Well, you got it. Your whole family out there, right? Yeah, it's still like a hundred dollars a person. It's not that bad. For a couple of hours? No, we went to the How beautiful... How much was your golfing? That golfing expedition was... had to be like $500. Golf, Get out of here. Golfing was the best part of the trip, frankly. Oh, I'm sure it was, but don't tell me about how expensive a boat is when you're out here going to five-star golf courses. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't yeah. need to hear that from you. <laughs> Someone said, welcome to Fatherhood Rookie. Yeah, well, basically, because my wife wants to go to Disney World. Like, we're planning on going next fall. And I told her, I said, you know, we might want to second-guess this Disney World trip because the baby can't do anything. What'd she say to that? You're She's crazy. like, oh, no, they got this thing where you wait in line and you go on the ride and then I'll wait with the baby. And then when I come off the ride, then you go on the ride. And I'll wait. I said, so I got to ride the ride by myself? Yeah, with the baby. Come on, Alex. You're Put your big boy pants on, nope, big guy. I can't do it you anymore. Can, you can ride rock and roller coaster on your own. Well, and we came home. I'm actually pretty sure the baby's not allowed on there yet. But I know a lot of people feel this way, too. Will you come home from a trip? The worst part is the fact that like you have to like readjust your life from vacation to okay, home. I don't life. want to hear this from you oh, either yeah, because suck. Alex was texting me and Tanner yesterday at 7 a.m. Hey guys, can't wait to be back with you. So good to be back in the loo. No, Alex, never said that. Hey, show starts fair. at 11. I never, I never said the loo. I said I'm back because when I woke up at 7 a.m. and when you go home from Branson, I'm basically mentally already home. I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. BK kept bugging me on my vacation too. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That he was, was on you. Nonstop. Uh, still counts. Man, we got home, and, like, the first thing I'm like, I got to go cut the grass. Tanner was supposed to book us a guest, and he couldn't do it for a week and a half. Well, and then I got him when it. I got back. And then he Let's didn't send us un- the number for it either. Yeah, get out of here. Didn't tell Marty what? where the things were in the system. Like, you were, you did a bad vacation trip, bro. Boat rentals I do not cost $200 an hour. Generally, they're closer to $50 to $60 an hour plus gas, according to our text line, which is never incorrect. No, it's like Wikipedia. You Google it and you're on top of it. So I just wanted to be known, Alex. You easily could have gone on Table yeah. Rock Lake. Read the 636. A baby on a boat? Worst idea ever. Believe me. Not doing it. You and I'm guys not doing went to uh, Silver Dollar City with the baby. Yeah, she sat in the stroller the whole time. She was great. It's just you can't do anything else. Wait, could you put like a 
floaties or some sort of oh, flotation yeah. device on your baby. You, you have to do that water. too at Whitewater. Like you can't have a newborn in the water unless she's wearing her life jacket. And the baby didn't want to be in the that damn water. Sense. Well, you're not putting the baby in the water. You're holding the baby. What do I need to put a life jacket on my four or three month old for? To make sure she doesn't drown. Okay, well, yeah. uh, how is, is she going to drown if I'm holding her the whole on, time? Hey, if father of the year, her, come on. I'm not going to drop my baby. I was dropped on my head. It happens yeah, from time to time. I never thought put, I would drop the football, the, but it happens. We put the life jacket on her, and I have a picture. I'll post it on my, my Twitter account. This life jacket, I mean, it looked like it was strangling the baby because the newborn life jackets are so tight. I put it on her and she started screaming. Ferrario, I know you have a kid, but for some reason, every time we refer to her as the baby, we don't use her name. I just picture you with a doll floating around in the water. Alex is not even a real kid. Going home from home economics. what is it, home ec class? Yeah. He's got the baby. Never did that. Baby that cries. Never did that. But from the 314, I can't tell who is more of a baby right now, Alex or the yeah, baby. Alex. Alex. Yeah. Alex is acting like my dog right now. My dog, whoa, we get home, and when whoa. she doesn't want to do something, she's all a princess, and she's crying and complaining. That's what Alex me, was on his trip. Did you just call me a princess? Yeah. A little was, bit. Yeah, you're acting nice. like one right now. That wasn't nice. I feel like you're trying. You're you're taking some of the blame right now. I feel like this might have been one of those. Did you not want to go on the boat or did somebody in the family not want to go on the boat? Oh, it was, it was like, oh, no, I wanted to go on the boat. Everyone okay. else. I was outruled by people that wanted to go. They would rather go to the to the water park instead of the boat. If so it, if there's anything I've learned from BK and Ferrario, it's take credit, pass the blame. So Alex definitely passed blame on to his child. 100%. From the 314, I just got back from the Ozarks and rented a boat for eight hours on Saturday with tax. Brand new pontoon, $675. That's what right. so I said. That's less than $100 an hour, man. I'm not paying that. <laughs> what? Not paying that. It was totally That's for you. a full day. They paid less than $700. Oh. Okay. Basically, my 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 wrap-up is okay, I, can't, so, I can't go on a trip with a three-month-old. So you went golfing. That was fantastic. You that went to a water park. That was terrible. You went to Silver Dollar City. You steal your Dollar City. It's fine. Any Anything else? Did you guys go to any shows? Did you go to the Wax Museum? Did you go to tried the to Titanic? Go to, tried to go to the Wax Museum. Nobody wanted to go with me. Really? Wait, the Titanic Museum's there? Yeah. I think I have been to Branson, actually. <laughs> I don't remember anything about it. You were too drunk to remember, no, right? No, I was really young. Well, I they charge you I $35 to go through a Wax Museum. Yeah, is it? that's the Ripley's Believe It or Not Wax Museum, right? No, it's a, like a Hollywood Wax Museum. They've got a Ripley's Believe It or Not place, too. I have been yeah. to Branson. They have yeah. a Ripley's Believe It or Not. Did you go there? Went there. No, we didn't go there. No, we didn't do anything. Do you remember your trip? No, I, I tried to forget it really quick. I did go Were mini golfing. Were you even in Branson? I did go mini golfing, and I put a picture of this on my social media. I had the baby and the Bjorn where she, like, hangs on your I chest. I saw that. Man, I'm a better. You had a lot of golf this weekend. I'm a better golfer with a baby than without a baby. You should have tried that with the home run derby, man. Oh, my God. Man, you can't swing. You hit the baby in the head. I don't know. It would have been worth a you shot. You can't take a baby to a water park and put a, without a life jacket. You probably can't Just go swing with up. a baby. A lot of bubble wrap, man. A lot of bubble wrap. So you guys didn't go to, like, Dixie Stampede, Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede, or anything like that? Do I look like I want to go to Dixie Stampede? Actually, yes. What the hell <laughs> does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What does that mean? Of all of us at 101 ESPN, forget just our show. At the entire station, I feel like you would be the number one pick to go to Dixie Stampede. I'd like you to I'd like you to explain now. your reasoning behind this. You listen to country music. That doesn't mean anything. I listen to country music today, not country music from the 30s. That's what Dixie Stampede is. And it's a bunch of horses. I don't care. It's a show, man. 
No, it's not a show. Your your daughter would have loved it. I think this. My pitch- daughter loves looking at herself in a mirror. That's all she loves to do right now. I, I think this is more of a. I could see Barnes going to this over Ferrario. But Ferrario's a Barnes close second. Barnes would have been my number two pick. What's the top three here? If we were doing a, a top three on the big board, <laughs> Alex is number one for me. Branson is awesome. Sounds like you are not. Okay. I think top three for Somebody me would be. Somebody else said the Dixie Stampede is the number one to do there. Absolutely. And they have good food. No. No, I don't. I don't need to sit in a building that smells Alex like horse is number poo. one. Ah, see, I think Barnes is number one, and then it'd be Alex right Barnes behind him. Barnes would be two for me. Who would be three? I feel like BT would have a really good time at the Dixie Stampede. Eh, well, you man, said it all of Hubbard, didn't you? No, one on one at our station among the on-air talent. Who would be most likely? Jamie Rivers. I feel like Jamie, Jamie would have Rivers a good can time. Have a good too. time anywhere. Jamie though. looks like he would just enjoy the hell out of a Dixie Stampede trip. I don't think that anybody from the morning show would go. Oh, Maybe no, Emily. Emily might go. No, Michelle Smallman just went on that trip. Uh, where was, she was out in Wyoming. Wyoming. Wyoming? Wyoming? She's got yeah. a picture of her with a cowboy hat on. Oh yeah, she. She's, I feel like she's that's a, Dixie a little Stampede different than going now. to the Dixie Stampede. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like going to Wyoming, Montana, Big Sky, whatever. I don't feel like that's quite the same experience as going to the Dixie Stampede in Branson, Missouri. The, Missouri. Oh I, don't, I, I have no idea who would be number three at our station. <laughs> Frankly, I don't even think I should be on this list. You guys are... Now you're definitely. You guys don't understand. Somebody said you guys know BK would be a dinner show type of a guy. Oh yeah, BK is totally a dinner show. (laughs) I'm underrating my own value on this list. Yeah, you're number one on this list. Coming up next, what kind of trade value would Paul DeYoung have? And John Mozalock talked with Valley Sports Midwest earlier today about the struggles for the offense and what could be done to fix them. We'll talk about it all next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So the Cardinals have some offensive issues. They are tied right now, two to two, in the bottom of the third in Detroit. Lars Newbar hit a triple today. He's already tied Lane Thomas for most career or for career triples. One. In the big leagues with All the right, Cardinals. So we're getting rid of Tommy Edmonds? Jerk. No, what are you talking about? What does oh, Lars Nippar have to do with Tommy Edmonds? Sorry, Evans? I, I thought you were like hinting at getting rid of Tommy Edmonds. The Cardinals Maybe are Bader. looking... The Cardinals are looking oh. for anything to spark this offense right now. And anything? Lars Newtbar Lars is the current uh, option that they have available to them that maybe can provide a little bit of a spark. John Mosellock was on with Valley Sports Midwest prior to today's game talking about the options and why they have to start looking internally. Just the other day, for example, like we decided to promote Lars Newtbar to give him that opportunity and see if, you know, just getting a, a different bat in the lineup could help. And, and so... The challenges that we're facing, though, is is when you talk about the injury bug, a lot of the players that we've optioned down to Memphis are also injured. It really puts a strain on your 40-man roster. We're trying not to to actually just give up on players that we think have a future, but there's going to be that push-pull because at some point we have to do something different. The Cardinals talked a lot about not trading players just for the sake of trading them in the offseason and the lessons that they've learned from the Randy Arozarena deal of trying to find out what they have internally before moving on from them. I think that's basically what you're hearing there from John Mosellock. They don't want to lose somebody from their 40-man roster by bringing somebody else in from the outside without having first decided, okay, this is what that guy could bring to our big league club. Let's exhaust all internal options first before we start exploring things outside of the organization. Yeah, but I mean, let's be honest here. There's a couple of guys on the 40-man roster that you can look at and you say, okay, I don't think they have a role on this team anymore, right? 
Like, as as much as I don't like to say it because I like him as a person, Daniel Ponce de Leon doesn't really have a role on this team anymore. The guy can't get through an inning without giving up a run. Nice I wonder hurt. if we see him go to the 60-day I do. I, I think he's going to. I really and that do. opens up a, a roster spot on the 40-man. And, and I hate to say this also because I know the Dean and Ader is T-Bone's favorite. No, I don't see how do you're right. going to see Austin Dean up here ever again. Because you you have all of these other players now, right? Like, is he still hurt or is he playing now? He's been playing. playing. I thought he's he's playing. been playing. He and Justin Williams has been in the lineup, and also Lane Thomas is another one that I really wonder if he's even going to be a part of the forty man roster. So I, I understand where they're he's coming one that's from. Really tough to see. I understand where they're coming from and sitting here saying, "Oh well, we want to go internally." Okay, but a lot of the internal options right now on the forty man roster. I think we've already decided on what they are. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to go trade Ponce de Leon and Austin Dean and Lane Thomas and go get yourself a a Kyle Gibson. By the way, it looks like Austin Dean has not played since May 15th. Oh, man, I thought he was in the lineup for Memphis. He's been out for about a month now. I still don't see a role for Austin Dean when he is healthy in terms of coming back. But I I don't think you can justify the, well, the 40-man roster, we're not going to take somebody off of it just to bring somebody in that we're not sure if they can help you. Well, right now, none of the internal options are helping you, so you need to go out there and get something externally to help you. Yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of guys on the 40-man that it's hard to see their future with the team, and I hate to say it, but another guy to be thrown on that list is probably John Nagowski. I, he didn't hit when he got up in the big leagues. He's not, he's hitting, not hitting right hitting now. Memphis. Now, granted, he has yeah. a very small port, uh, sample size in AAA, so his two twelve out average yeah. may be a little bit deceiving. But it does feel like there are a lot of guys that this team is saying, let's look at the ceiling of them. And I'm not saying just DFA them, just cut ties with them. But I think there is, if you had to make a move, to me, I don't want to hear the excuse of we don't have a spot on the 40-man. Yeah, because you to me, a, you do. You got this Brandon Waddell that you got off of waivers. Okay, well, bring him up then. But you you got Wade LeBlanc. I don't think you need four lefties on your roster and not use any of them. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Does anybody else really feel like Ali Sanchez is a is a mainstay in your 40-man roster yeah, right to now? To me, you got to keep him. To me, you though. have to keep Sanchez because you need a third catcher in case someone gets hurt. Yeah, it, if you go through three catchers, Okay, then I understand going out there and getting something, but I don't think you're going to go through three catchers to where you have to use the fourth one. Regardless of your thoughts on Ollie Sanchez and some of these guys that are kind of the bottom feeders on the roster right now, we can all agree they need improvements. And whether that could they come internally or externally, however they're able to get up to the big league roster, they need help. And John Mosellock, if you were frustrated by that first comment, I think you're going to prefer hearing the second one from him. It does sound like he understands the urgency that's needed in a time like this. I think, you know, we have to look inside and, and decide like how we want to see this move forward. But we're recognizing that what we're doing is not working. And it's not me trying to be coy or, or clever, but you know, there's a lot of, of, of things that are complicated in this. And I hope people respect that, not that we're asking for privacy, we're just merely saying that that some of the things we're thinking through is just not ready to be uh, publicized. What do you make of that last comment? Some of the things that we're working through are not ready to be publicized. Is he talking trade there? I don't know. I legitimately do not know. Because that sounded more like, a, I don't know, that, that sounded like when there's personal problems and you're like, oh, you know, we'd, we'd appreciate your privacy right now while we work through these issues. That didn't sound like a comment you make when it comes to making a trade, does it? I don't know. I, I'm being serious. Like I, John Mosellock said, I'm not trying to be coy. I don't have an answer for you on this. I don't think anybody knows what Strange. the answer is to that. But 
that's the type of thing that I would expect to hear. Remember when Johnny Peralta was going through all of his struggles? I don't remember what year that was, maybe 2016. Um, and the Cardinals eventually got to the point where they just had to release him. They had to go their separate ways. So that way they could see if there was somebody internally that could do a better job than Peralta was at the time. It almost sounds like that. Where it's like, hey, uh, we're going to have to cut ties with somebody. But who are you cutting ties with among your regulars? Not talking about the lower level guys of the world. We're, I'm not mentioning guys like Waddell, who's down in AAA, like the minor leaguers. That's not who I'm talking about. But you're not moving on from Edmundo Sosa or Dylan Carlson or O'Neal, the guys that are playing regularly. So that that's the first thing that comes to mind. But there's nobody that re- that really applies to in my mind, especially if he's talking about offense there, which is what he was asked about. The, the one that might tie into that would be Paul DeYoung, but you're not just going to cut Paul DeYoung. No. I mean, that would be a trade, but even then that doesn't seem to make sense. So by process of elimination, deal. he has to be referencing a, a trade possibility there, right? I would think so, but that felt like a weird comment just, for a trade. Yeah, I've heard I've heard trade comments before, and they say, you know, we don't bring that into the public, blah, blah, blah. You know, we'll keep that internally. Sure. I've never heard him say respect our privacy with that before, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting comment. I, I don't really know what to make of it other than that it's it's kind of a strange thing to say. Um, and it, it suggests that there is, at least internally, a little bit of urgency taking place to upgrade the offense, as there should be. So the place that my mind immediately goes to as we're talking trade and maybe there's a little bit, we talk hockey trades, right, for for the Blues. Yeah. What could they do from somebody on their roster for somebody else that's making a similar amount of money to be able to improve both teams potentially? Maybe the Cardinals could make a deal like that. And you mentioned Paul DeYoung. Maybe he's somebody that could be involved in that kind of a deal. Brad Thompson brought up his name yesterday to talk about what kind of a value he would have on the open market. Here's what he had to say. What about uh, Paul DeYoung going to Colorado? Any interest for the Rockies there? I never thought about that. Young, (laughs) cost-controlled. I think that Paul DeYoung, I think that he's a very intriguing piece. Like, this is a former All-Star that hit 30 home runs before, and this is where you really have to lean on your scouting department and your player development, and you're getting his video in front of a lot of people, and you're having them scout him hard and say, what are you seeing? Like, are you seeing something that we can fix? Is there a small tweak that he just looks off and you believe that we get him here and we can figure these things out because a cost-controlled shortstop that you have under contract for two more years that is making $6 million, it's, I think it's $15 million owed to him total over the next two two years, that's not bad. Paul DeYoung is making $6 million next year. He will make $9 million in 2023. Those are the only two years that are guaranteed left on his deal. And then he has a couple club options, $12.5 million and $15 million. If he's playing like this, he ain't going to see those at that money. But if he gets back to the player that he was previously, where he's hitting 25, 30 home runs in a season, maybe he could be worth $12, $15 million at some point in 2024 and 2025 as he's 30 and 31 years old. Alex, do you think he has value on the trade market right now? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, you're talking about a cost-controlled diff, uh, shortstop who is very solid at shortstop, who has hit 30 home runs in the past and is still fairly young and cost-controlled. I think if I'm a team, and Colorado's a great example that Anthony Stalter brought up, if I'm Colorado and I know I'm losing Trevor Story and I need a shortstop, I got some guys who could play there, but Paul DeYoung could be a shortstop. And let's remember, Paul DeYoung started as a third baseman. Paul DeYoung could also be a second baseman for you. 
I'm taking a chance on that. Now, I don't know if it's going to warrant what people are thinking. Like, I've seen a lot of texts already come in saying, oh, trade Paul DeYoung for Trevor Story. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Paul DeYoung could get you a John Gray, could get you a Herman Marquez from Colorado to help your pitching. Could he get me Gibby? I think he could get you Gibby. I really think he could get you Gibby. Would you guys trade Paul DeYoung straight up for Kyle Gibson? I think you could get more for Paul DeYoung than that. I think you could get more with Paul DeYoung. And frankly, I think you could package something with Paul DeYoung and get something that is a, that is above Kyle Gibson. But I, I think he's a big more piece. like Jose Barrios, something in that range. I, I, I don't know if that's that. the specific player, but Paul DeYoung plus prospects for a player such as Marquez was a good name to bring up, the Rocky starter, or Jose Barrios, guys that have multiple years of control. Uh, and I think you need to, to limit the... And I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to listeners that are wanting to trade Nolan Gorman and things like that. Because if you trade Paul DeYoung, well, then Nolan Gorman becomes that much more untouchable, in my opinion. Because yep. Tommy Edmonds, your shortstop. Nolan Gorman's your second baseman with Edmundo Sosa in the mix. Or Gorman's your designated hitter. Which you can do and that Edmundo as well. Edmundo Sosa's your everyday shortstop until the offseason mm-hmm. when you go out and you... Like, this is the other thing about the Paul DeYoung situation. If you trade Paul DeYoung, you better be... Get, one of two things has to happen. You either need to be getting a shortstop in return or Edmundo Sosa has to play there every day moving forward this season. And in the offseason, if you're not getting a shortstop in return for DeYoung, you need to be a player in that big market this offseason. You need to be a player for uh, Story or um, Correa, Correa, whoever it is. One of those guys. I don't think, see for me, Baez isn't an option because I don't think the Cubs are going to let him go. I think Trevor Story is going to cost the Cardinals way too much, so you can't get into that market. Carlos Correa, maybe, but I don't think they're going to want to deal with that because of the injuries. The name that I'm interested in would be Marcus Simeon. Sure. I look at a Marcus Simeon and I say, okay, if I'm going to move on from Paul DeYoung, I'm going to go get me a guy who can hit somewhere in my top four and be effective. I think he's going to get paid. I think he's going to get paid, but I don't think he's going to get Trevor Story paid. Trevor Story is going to be get close to 250, 300. It'll be the fourth highest paid shortstop on the market. Now, granted, I don't know what that will look like because I don't think Correa is going to get what he's asking for because of the back injuries. If that's the case, I would rather have Correa. 27 years old, prime of his career. He's a franchise-altering type of a player. I know there's risk there, but there's risk with Marcus Simeon as well. What is he going to be in his age 33, 34 season? He's 31 right now. You're going to get him at the start of that deal at 32. But don't you th- that don't, is some Dexter Fowler type of potential. But don't you it. guys think that even going into this upcoming offseason and you do move on from Paul DeYoung, yeah, you need a shortstop there, but don't you think still the biggest need is going to be starting pitching? I mean, look at what we're dealing with now, and next year you don't have any of these guys that are pitching in your rotation now. You have a guy who's coming off Tommy John, a guy who hasn't pitched at all this season, and Jack Flaherty. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? Like it's it's tough. It's a tough spot right now for John Mosaylock. He's got a lot that is on his hands, and that's why when I hear him say, "Hey, we're going to keep things internally for now until something is announced," there's only two things that that could really apply to, in my opinion. And again, this is pure speculation by me. It feels like that's either a firing of a coach or a trade, and I'm not sure what else could could apply to a comment like that. Unless this thing gets turned around, in which case, obviously, that's null and void. They don't have to worry about it. I just, I personally feel like that comment applies to a coach. And I don't know who that is, and I'm not trying to speculate here. It's just my opinion. I feel like that comment applies to a 
management decision that you have to make in the midst of a losing streak. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, in about 15 minutes or so. Big day today for the Blues as Carl Gunnarsson officially announced his retirement from the NHL. 12-year NHL career. We'll talk about the best of that career with the Blues with Chris Kerber in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us two options. We'll tell you which is more likely to happen. More likely to happen is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen you give us a couple of scenarios we will tell you which one is more likely and we'll start with this one more likely to happen alex ferrario i know you've been bugging me for the last week and a half about this more likely the blues trade for matthew kachuk which seems to be gaining some steam nationally right now or the cardinals trade for your guy jonathan scope where the hell scope gonna play second why the hell Tommy Edmond going to play? Right, right field. And we all know what happens when Tommy Edmond plays right field. Well, when you have a guy that can hit in Jonathan Scope. Can Scope play right field? I think he probably could. Boys, I, I Tom, don't think he could do it well. Anybody can play the outfield. Boys, Tommy Edmond's got an RBI single today. What position is he playing? Right field. Oh, wait, no, he's a second. That's right. That's what happens there. I'll go more likely than Matthew Kachuk gets traded. Boys, this is getting, this is picking up here. So basically the steam is coming from Shane O'Brien, a former player who does a podcast with Scotty Upshaw. Um, He was on another podcast and he said from his understanding, Matthew Kachuk wants out of Calgary. He said, quote, I think Tarasenko's time is up in St. Louis. I've got a little rumor, I guess. I got Tarasenko going to Calgary for Kachuk. I heard Kachuk wants out of Calgary. Tarasenko's time's up there. I think that's a trade that could happen, end quote. It would obviously take more than just Tarasenko, yes. but he's talking about that'd be kind of the the big names that would go back and forth. 100%. And with that being said, a um, couple things with this. One, Shane O'Brien broke a trade that happened this past trade deadline. So, like, he's not just reporting this to be reporting it. Like, he knows what he's talking about. Two, former players know more than you think they do. 100% true. Yes, they do. Um, you can't just trade Vladdy to Calgary. Like Vladdy has to agree to be traded. And why would he want to go to Calgary if they're not going to be contending anytime soon? But I do think something's going to happen with Matthew Kachuk. And if Matthew, and again, nobody knows this other than Matthew, if Matthew wants to play in St. Louis, well, then Calgary is going to be like, okay, well, we need to get something for this. So let's call St. Louis and figure something out. I, I'd say it's more likely Kachuk gets traded because I think something's starting to warm up there. I think I'm with you. I think this has the sense of I'm trying to think of a player that we've heard rumors. <coughs> Nolan Arenado. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Actually, I'm glad you coughed that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that that that's what it kind of has a sense of a superstar that's not happy with the way the organization's being run. He wants to go play somewhere, somewhere that he's. I don't know if <coughs> Arenado was familiar with. Uh, that was a terrible. Cough. That was a really terrible cough. Plus, you just like spread germs everywhere, man. So, wow. Uh, so. I feel like it's more likely that Kachuk will be dealt. It just does feel like an Arnado situation. You go Mr. 95%? Hell no. John like Scope's 50. an interesting name, though. Oh, jeez. I've I'm, already talked about him, and you shot him down. I came on board. It took me a minute. I'm going to admit that. I'm not perfect. 
But Jonathan Scope yep. has has been a really good player, especially over the last month or so. Don't you guys go too far with that I'm not perfect thing. Uh, he's batting 280 so far this year for the Tigers. The last month or so, he's been on fire. He's batting like 350. He had another double earlier today. He's been dominating the Cardinals so far in this series. I wouldn't be stunned if a move like that is what the Cardinals decide to do. Now, Scope is not a great defender. Played a lot of first base this year for the Tigers because he's not a great defender in part. But he he improves your offense. There's no doubt about that. So it's not a tier one type of a trade, but Scope would be in that tier two. And I think he's the type of player the Cardinals could look at acquiring this offseason or at the deadline. That being said, more likely the Blues trade for Matthew Kachuk. I'm all in on this idea. You just really I like it. I like up. what you do. You spend like two minutes on the scenario like, man, this could be a really, I think I can see this happen. And then you'll end up with, no, this one's going to happen. I like what you do there. You drag people along. Well, we didn't talk much about Jonathan Scope. You guys gave everything there was to offer on Matthew Kachuk. So I'm going to offer what there is on Jonathan Scope. I think he makes a lot of sense for Nothing the Cardinals. Say. Jonathan Scope makes you a World Series contender. Plain well. <laughs> World <laughs> champions is what Jonathan Scope makes you. Isn't that the same what, thing? What do the Cardinals need? You said contender. Oh, okay. What is it that the Cardinals need? A what second baseman who can play the bench. Talent. Can oh, Scope yeah. pitch? They need talent. Hey, he's <laughs> talented. Scope is talented. Oh, okay. That's what no, you were taking a shot at him. 65780 is the air comfort De service Young text line. for Scope right now. Pull it off. For more likely to happen. <laughs> More likely to be fired before the All-Star break. Oh, wow, this boy. got very morbid. This is, <laughs> Jeff Albert or Mike Maddox? Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say BK or Mike <laughs> Schilt. <laughs> that actually might be a better one. Uh, no, I like yours better. Okay, say that again. More my... likely to be fired before the All-Star break. Jeff Albert or Mike Maddox? I'd say Jeff Albert. I, I just don't see them firing Mike Maddox and especially everyone we've talked to for like how much they say like Mike Maddox is one of the best out there and he's an incredible pitcher or pitching coach. I could see you justifying just Jeff Albert. I don't know if you could justify Mike Maddox. And plus, do you have any internal pitching coaches that you could put into that position? I don't think so. You have other guys who could step into a hitting coach's role. Yeah, I think it's more likely it'd be Jeff Albert. And the reason I say that is when I look at the pitching, I can kind of understand Mike Maddox's side because he haven't been necessarily healthy there. Jordan Hicks is out. Jack Flaherty's out. Miles Michaelis is out. Uh, Pons, if you want to put Pons there, he's out. But with the offense, who are the guys that have really struggled? Nolan Arnato's really struggled. Now, you can give him credit for Tyler O'Neill and his success. Dylan Carlson's been good. Paul DeYoung, he's not been able to fix. And Paul DeYoung was one of those guys that spoke out and raved about Jeff Albert. I, I think you would look at firing Jeff Albert more likely than you would Mike Maddox. And you're pretty much healthy offensively when you look at your lineup. The only guy you're missing is Harrison Bader. I think I'm with both of you guys. Mike Maddox is just so well respected, both internally and around the league. I don't think that's the type of a move that you would make. All of the heat right now, locally, nationally, wherever you're reading about the Cardinals right now is on Jeff Albert. The hitting coach is typically the first move that an organization would make in a situation like this. So I'm going to back up what you guys have already stated. I think more likely that Jeff Albert is fired before the all-star break than Mike Maddox. Although I'm really not sure that they're going to make that kind of a move. All right. Last thing here for more likely to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to get back on track this season. Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa. More likely to get back on track offensively this season. Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa? Which one do you have more faith in? 
offensively? I'd say Edmundo Sosa because Paul DeYoung seems like the prototypical home run power guy to where it's either home run or nothing. Edmundo Sosa has shown the contact and I really feel like Edmundo Sosa's struggles come from him being in and out of the lineup. I feel like if he was a mainstay in the lineup or you let him push through the struggles and try and figure it out, I feel like he would get back to that contact hitter. And I feel like he fixes your problems a lot more in terms of no hitting at the bottom of the order. So I'd say Edmundo Sosa get back on track. I think I'm going to go Paul DeYoung. And the reason I say that is because he's a veteran. Edmundo Sosa, this is, what, his first full year in the major leagues, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And Paul DeYoung's a smart guy. I think he knows that it's kind of this mental battle with him now. And I understand you look at the numbers. He's not hitting the ball hard. His strikeouts are up. I, I, I look at Paul DeYoung and I say, this is a guy that has 30 home run power. And sure, he has struggled over the last year and a half or whatever it is. I think he's a veteran. I think he knows what it's going to take for him to get back and get going. Sosa, I have faith in. It's just, I think it's more likely a veteran can turn things around than a uh, rookie can. I think I'm going Paul DeYoung as well. Edmundo Sosa kind of is what he is. And I like what Edmundo Sosa is as a player. He's a helpful player to have on your roster. I do not think he's an everyday starting shortstop in the big leagues. I think he's a utility infielder that you're happy to have. And that guy can be on the roster for a really good team. Like Edmundo Sosa could play for the Dodgers. He could. He would not be an everyday player for the Dodgers, but he'd be a really nice bench player for them. Same thing for the Padres. Every team in baseball could use a guy like him. Good defender, runs the base as well, has some speed, everything you could ask for. Paul DeYoung has the potential, and still there, to be a great hitter. I think he's more likely to get back to respectability. If one of them is going to be a league average hitter this year for the remainder of the season, I think it's more likely that it's Paul DeYoung. So I will go Paul DeYoung. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is going to join us to reminisce a little bit on Carl Gunnarsson's NHL career. He's calling it a career after 12 years in the league, 629 regular season games, and one moment that we will never forget here in St. Louis. We'll talk about it all. Carl Gunnarsson announcing his retirement today. Chris Kerber joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. To O'Reilly, to Gunnarsson, he scores! Boom, boom, Gunnarsson! Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues win game two! Three to two the final, they're coming home tied at one! That's what it sounded like as the Blues won their first ever Stanley Cup game in franchise history. Boom, boom, Gunnarsson coming through big in game two of the 2019 Stanley Cup final. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Right now, we are very happy to be joined via the Brown and Crippen celebrity line by the voice of the Blues, the man you just heard in that call. He is Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing on what is a big day for Carl Gunnarsson as he is officially announced his retirement from the NHL. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of amazes me. There's so many different angles to look at here, just other things going on around the National Hockey League. But um, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm happy for Carl. I'm happy that he was able to lift the Stanley Cup. It was, it's been neat getting to know his dad a little bit on some father's trips. 
Uh, Carl will go down as one of my uh, all-time favorite St. Louis Blues from uh, just, just having such a great personality and approach and an amazing guy to be around. So uh, I'm sad that it's coming to an end for him. I'm happy that it's happening as a St. Louis Blue, and, uh, and if he's at peace with it, uh, I'm happy for Carl. Curbs, what kind of impact do you think Carl had in that locker room? Uh, he talked a little bit about it earlier of when he got traded to St. Louis and talking about, you know, Alexander Steen being here, of course, of Swedish descent and then kind of growing through Ken Hitchcock, Mike Yo, and then to Craig Berube. You know, you, you know, for a locker room to be successful, I think you have to have personalities of all different types. You have to have, you know, the outspoken personalities. You have to have the intense personalities to balance the intense ones. You have to have the lighthearted ones. You know, and, and then you have to have kind of the flatline guys. And, and and Carl Gunnarsson to me, Carl Gunnarsson to me was one of those flatline guys. You know, he, he was, he had a great personality. He was light. He liked to laugh. He could talk to anything, anybody about anything. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, he was just kind of one of those even keel guys you could count on. And look, it, it it's, this it's it's amazing to me that at times last season, not not this past season, you know, where he was served for most of it, but the year before, where this guy would sometimes, depending on what the coaches wanted in the lineup, he might have scratched him. Craig Berube might have scratched him for two or three games and then put him right back in for the next five games in the top pairing with Alex Petrangelo. Really, really kind of fascinating along the, the stuff. I, I ended up, uh, <laughs> listen, I got a great Carl Gunnarsson story to share with you. We We were in Vancouver, I think it was, all right? to show you about kind of just how he was in the kind of conversations. And I'd, I'd sit down and sometimes we just have conversations about whatever pops into mind. And at one point he walks past me in the locker room in Vancouver and he says, Hey, and, and, and we were over at the, at the other radio station at the time. And he goes, Hey, what's with this Harry ham guy. And I looked and I went, are you kidding me? Like he's following that story. We went from that topic to talking about, the, and then he talked about uh, Joe Biden, and, and then he was talking. We started kind of, I started learning about the, what the government in in Sweden was like and stuff. I mean, he was such a fascinating guy to be around, and uh, I'll, I'll miss him being around like we're going to miss some of the others. He's an interesting guy, and he certainly was a good one to have in that locker room. I, I'm curious. Curbs, when you look back on that game, too, because when we look back on Carl Gunnarsson's career here in St. Louis, that's going to be the moment, right? That's going to be the moment that everybody immediately has pop into their mind. What's the biggest memory that you have from that moment? Uh, Just the fact that uh, it was the goal, the game-winning goal in the first ever Stanley Cup final win for this franchise. Um, It was... he had some chances and he had some chances right, right towards the end again in, in regulation is that's of course what led to the great urinal story. Just give me another chance coach. Right. But the, um, uh, he, he had a shot. He every now and then would chip in. I think, I mean, he only had 50 something points in his career with the St. Louis blues, you know, but he'd have some moments and uh, I, what a thrilling thing. And that's, that's the great part about the Stanley cup finals, right? To win the Stanley cup, you make heroes out of guys, you know, that might not necessarily be the hero. And in this case, it, it was Carl Gunnarsson being that guy, and what a moment. And as David Perron tweeted earlier, it was that goal that really helped give the St. Louis Blues the belief that they could win this thing. I mean, absolutely huge moment. Curbs, I, I've, I think I've brought this up to you before, but if not, this will be perfect timing. I've said that the Blues need to build a bronze statue of Carl Gunnarsson, put him next to a urinal, and make that a perfect photo opportunity for fans when they are at Enterprise Center. Give me your thoughts. 
Well, my first thought is uh, we might have a couple of inebriated fans decide to try and use that statue for the wrong purpose. Like pee on it? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I mean, just see a urinal just sitting right in there. Like, hey, look, it's wide open. Yeah, well, why like not? Open home. Yeah, but you just got no, the pee. No door there. But you just got the pee I, next I, to Carl Gunnarsson. Listen, I, well, what you love about that story, what you love about that story is the lore of it, right? Yeah. And, and the fact that, and, and so if you guys have seen the, the championship book that the St. Louis Blues put out, there's an act, there is a picture of that urinal in there. And it happened because it, 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 uh, Chris Pinkert, I believe it was, was having a conversation and Ray Borelli says, I have a picture of that <laughs> urinal. And that's how we found it. So it, it's not just an average picture. It was a picture of that urinal. And it happened because there was also some, like, the storage of some bags or something in there. I don't, I don't remember how that part went. But I, I just, again, those are great championship stories, lore, legend, whatever you want to call it, that just makes things great. You know, sort of like, uh, you know, like like in 99 when, or actually was it the, uh, was it the, no, 98. The, whenever it was when the Cardinals were, or, I'm sorry, the Blues were playing the, uh, the Coyotes and blanking on the year. And uh, 97, whenever that was, and, and Grant Fuhrer goes into game seven and says, just give me one, guys. Yeah. Right? Things along those kind of lines. And and I, I love stories like that. And, um, you know, again, he's going to be – it's pretty amazing to think that you're only two years separated from having won a Stanley Cup championship, and you've had three of your key players suffer career-ending injuries since then. You know, I mean, and then and then I look at it, and there's two guys that left via free agency in Maroon and, and Petrangelo. There's – you know the trade of Edmondson, like it's it's really been just kind of a an unsettling couple of years with the uh, it, it, in the part that's the uncontrollable one when it comes to the injuries. It has been, and the defensive core in particular. We talked about this a little bit earlier. It's just it's completely different. I looked back at what it was for that 2019 postseason run, and I mean you're expecting to have basically two of those guys potentially back next year, and Pareko in Bortuzzo. Curbs, I also did want to ask you about another potential change that the Blues could make this off season because uh, the other day. Shane O'Brien was on a podcast and he talked about a potential trade for the blues. And I know we've talked about this with you before. He said on the podcast quote, I think Tarasenko's time is up in St. Louis. I got a little rumor. I think that Tarasenko could be going to Calgary for Matthew Kachuk. I heard Kachuk once out of Calgary and Tarasenko's time might be up there in St. Louis. I think that's a trade that could happen End quote. Again, this is speculation. We have no idea if, the, if there's how much truth there is to this, but uh, do you think there's a little bit more truth to the possibility that Kachuk could end up out of Calgary than we initially thought? You know, uh, I, I look at it like this when it, when it comes to rumors and sports, there, there's some rumors that, that, that click, but it was the Ottawa sun that reported that Matthew could be available. And, and I don't know where their source was obviously on that. What I tend to find is usually where there is smoke, there's some level of fire. You know, if and, and yeah, if you connect some dots and you realize that okay, Calgary made the coaching change. They brought in the, the maybe the oldest of old school in, in how he handles things in you know in Sutter as a head coach, right? Um, Matthew Kachuk's ice time went down once Sutter was brought in as coach. It wasn't like those guys were seeing eye to eye, you know, and, and as evidenced by that playing time going down, right? Um, and, and you see that. So it's not hard to see that that scenario could be a, a possibility. Um, has, has there been anything official from, from Matthew to 
Trey living in Calgary, man, I don't know anything about that saying I want out that kind sure. of stuff. Um, but, but yeah, there, there, there seems to be enough there that you have to wonder. And, and frankly, the other dot to have to connect guys, and this is, I mean, this isn't rocket science. I think you just have to put, you just have to put a little, you know, I mean, yes, we're reading some tea leaves here, but you know, Matthew, he, he's got one year left on his contract. And then he's one year away from re- unrestricted free agency. All right. Well, if you if you go back and you look at Keith Kachuk's history, right, and you know it, this is a family that understands the business side of the game extraordinarily well. I, I being how young Matthew is going to be, unless it's in a place that he really wants to stay at, I'm not I'm not sure he's willing to give up years of unrestricted free agency you know, to sign sooner with somebody. And so I, I see Matthew as a player smart enough, intense enough, but has the hockey IQ on the business side as well to understand all that. And if you look at that, you're going, okay, Calgary missed the playoffs again. This is a team that has struggled to find playoff consistency. He was injured when they were in the bubble two years ago. And you remember the video of him being so frustrated watching his team get beat. Um, it's, there seems to be enough writing on the wall that says that uh, that long-term in Calgary for Matthew Kachuk, you know, sh- should be something that's probably questioned, at least from the standpoint of him being able to test the free agent market, uh, you know, in, in two years. And if it looks, guys, go one step further with this. If you're Calgary and you're getting a sense that he's going to want to test the unrestricted free agent market, so one, you're going to have to sign him to a one-year contract to get that last year out of him. As that gets closer to the fact that you realize that you may not be able to sign him, his marketability from a trade could become tougher and tougher. So it, I think that this is going to be a really interesting story to watch develop. Do I think something is imminent? No, not necessarily. But as you start to move into next season and through the season and stuff, it'll be definitely one to watch. Yeah, and it's gonna. I would imagine this is probably going to develop a little quicker than we expect just because you've got the expansion draft coming up and a lot of important dates over the next month or so in the NHL. Curves, we'll be talking about that regularly with it, with you throughout the offseason. We always appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys, have, your, have yourself an awesome week, and uh, you know, congratulations again to Carl. Uh, what a terrific guy, and he's going to be when he gets into town from – time to time from over in Sweden. Uh, he's going to be a great member of the Blues alumni. Certainly is. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Hey, join the Blues. Or join the Blues. Join 101 ESPN's join Bomberito Street Fleet this Friday from 6 to 8 o'clock at Hooters in St. Peter's for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. T-Bone will be there. It's a free-to-play indoor golf game where you can score prizes in Michelob Ultra swag plus... Here's the big one. Your chance to win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup. Don't miss it. It's Friday night, 6 to 8 o'clock with 101 ESPN at the Hooters in St. Peter's. Get all the details right now at 101ESPN.com. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
ESPN is your chance to score a free pair of tickets to Cardinals versus Pirates this Friday night at Bush Stadium. At both fr- this Friday and Saturday's games, 15,000 fans age 16 or older will take home a Yachtier Molina Tumblr. You've probably seen a few of those commercials. Get there early to grab yours. Get all the details on remaining tickets for the Yachty Tumblr giveaway this Friday and Saturday at cardinals.com slash promotions. Right now, though, we have a pair of tickets to give away for you guys. All you have to do be texter number six at 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service texter. Texter number six that tells us where Alex Ferrario did not go over the weekend. He went to Branson, but he did not go somewhere that both Tanner and I think he should have. If you get that texter number six at 65780. Yes. You will be entered. You will win the pair of tickets to Cardinals versus Pirates on Friday night. When are you going to tell them they won? Your show's over in one minute. I know. We'll, BK keeps asking questions. We'll get their info we'll, we'll and everything. We'll do it on the text line. <laughs> <laughs> hey, congrats. What do you have for, or what What do you have that you said you got a bone to pick with no, us? No, I mean, uh, here, here's the thing, just real quick, because I know we, we, we actually have a show that starts in a minute. Uh, but I, I did want to know, which one of you idiots uh, put... <laughs> A gallon of sweet tea or something in the fast lane fridge sideways so it spills out all over the bottom and have left a mess. Who's dumb enough? And I'm picturing you guys, no offense, to do <laughs> something hats. like that and then never clean it up. Who? who this who actually would, was not I don't drink sweet tea, me. so that's not me either. So no. I know the fast lane gets their Chick-fil-A, <laughs> not the fast lane, the, uh, the morning show gets their Chick-fil-A. Which, yep. by the way, that might have been, been there. I can. I don't drink sweet tea. Is Randy either. dumb enough to put something in sideways? <laughs> he might. And the only thing I have in your guys' refrigerator is my lunch that day of. Yep. It sometimes gets thrown away. Actually, it smells sometimes <laughs> yeah, really good. Um, and my coffee creamer. That's it. That's all I've got in there. It's too much. Look, <laughs> That's fair. Look at me in the eyes. I never use that fridge. Who so. did that? I can't look speak me in the eyes. You're not looking at me. Sweet it was tea? Tanner. The fast lane's not, coming up next on 101 ESPN. Boom, boom, Gutterson, Mulder, and Leo Mazzoni. You'll stay. He'll love it. And I understand. Scoogle was pretty good last. Scoogle. I can't say his name. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.